what's up, ladies and gentlemen? New Orleans, we're coming to you tomorrow night. New Orleans. Two shows with Tony Hinchcliffe. First show sold out. There's some tickets available for the second show. That is Thursday, March 15th. Then Miami sold out. Orlando sold out on Saturday. Uh, Ice House is sold out. Nashville is sold out on the 30th. There's some tickets available for the late show in Charlotte on the 31st. That's all I got for now. Everything else is sold out. Go to JoeRogan.com and you can get all them details. Okay. 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 This episode of the motherfucking podcast is brought to you by Square Cash, the Square Cash app, which is a, a free app that you can download that is a great way to pay people back. If you owe somebody money, friends, family, you know, you got to pay them some cash. The Square Cash app is an awesome way to do it. And now you can even buy and sell Bitcoin instantly with the app. Ah, well, if you've ever been curious about Bitcoin, which I know many people are, you can sign up and buy instantly within minutes. And you don't have to buy an entire Bitcoin. You can buy as little as a dollar. So if you're like, what is going on with this fucking Bitcoin? And when it seems to get squirrely, Bail on that shit quick. Most buys and sells happen in seconds. You can keep your funds right in the app or you can cash out directly to your bank account at any time. It could not be simpler. And of course, when you download the free cash app, use the promo code Joe Rogan, all one word, and $5 will go to you and $5 will go to Justin Wren's Fight for the Forgotten Charity. And I am very, very happy to announce that during the course of this promotion that we've been doing with this ad on the podcast, thousands of dollars have been raised for Justin Wren's amazing charity that helps build wells for the pygmies in the Congo. It is a fucking awesome, awesome service that he provides. It's an awesome charity. He's a beautiful person. If you never heard him on my podcast, please go back and listen to this. The many times that he's been on, he's just a gem of a human being, and what he's doing is just amazing and i'm so happy that we could support it and raise money to help build wells so download the cash app for free on the app store or on google play we're also brought to you by framebridge if you previously listened to this show you've heard me talk about framebridge they make it super easy and affordable to custom frame your favorite things whether it's art prints or posters photos that you have on your phone and it's very simple and here's how it works you go to framebridge.com, you upload your photo from your computer or directly from your Instagram feed for them to print. Or if you have a physical item, like a ticket stub, art print, posters, stuff like that, they'll provide you with secure prepaid packaging so you can mail it in for free. You preview your item online in any frame style. You can choose your favorite frames or you can get free recommendations from their talented designers. The expert team at Framebridge will custom frame your item in days Days, not weeks, not months. Then they deliver your finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. And the best part, instead of the hundreds that you'd pay at a framing store, their prices start at just $39 and all shipping is free. Plus, listeners of this podcast will get 15% off your first order at framebridge.com when they use my code ROGAN. That's R-O-G-A-N. Framebridge has thousands of five-star reviews and even offers a happiness guarantee. If for any reason you are not 100% satisfied with your order, they will make it right. It's a beautiful service. It's really simple and easy and convenient to get shit framed. And you can get started framing today. Go to framebridge.com and use the promo code ROGAN and you'll save an additional 15% off your first order. So go to framebridge.com. Promo code Rogan, 
and you're good. Framebridge.com, promo code ROGAN. And last but not least, support for this podcast comes from the Wondery Podcast Network presenting This Is War. Now, we've talked to a lot of veterans on this show, and we have heard their stories of deployment and their return back to a somewhat normal life, and these stories are often unheard. And now there's a new show coming from Wondery called This Is War. You can hear personal accounts from these heroic men and women who serve in our armed forces, and it's a firsthand look at what it's like to fight and survive combat in foreign lands and their experiences on and off the battlefield, what it's like to return home, trying to figure out how they fit in and heal the physical and emotional wounds from their time in combat. And in this first episode of This Is War, you'll meet Ian Mearns. A month before his senior year in high school, when he was just 17 years old, Ian walked into the recruitment office and signed up. That was in August of 2001. A year later, the world had completely changed, and he was entering the military under very different circumstances than he had anticipated. It's an amazing story, and you can go listen to the very first episode of This Is War on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Or you can head to wondery.fm slash Rogan. That's W-O-N-D-E-R-Y dot F-M forward slash Rogan. That's wondery, like wonder, with an I, dot F-M forward slash Rogan. Go listen. And I think it's very important that these stories are heard, and they did a great job. Great job putting this together. All right. My guest is the great and powerful Mary Lynn Ricegob. She's a friend of mine for the Comedy Store. She's a very quirky and interesting and very funny person. And uh, I always enjoy talking to her. And we've talked about doing this many times, but I'm glad we finally got together and made it happen today. And I really enjoyed it. So please welcome my friend, Mary Lynn Ricegob. Joe Rogan Podcast, check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Five. And we're here with the Arnold Schwarzenegger of comedy, <laughs> Marilyn Ricecup. When how many people have ever on one shot spelled your name right or pronounced it right? Never, never, never. Right? Like if it's you're kind at the of DMV, exciting now that you mention it because they're going to introduce me and it's just it just gives like an instant obstacle. Like when you were coming up as a comic, that had to be a big issue. Like for for the MC to bring you up or the 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 DJ when they bring you up if you were the MC. The DJ or the MC. I don't know. I never really looked at it that way. Well, somebody had to introduce you. Yeah. Right? Like Someone was introducing acts. me. I think I was in such a a, a, a bubble, uh, I didn't really... And I wasn't on the road hardcore, and I wasn't... I don't know. I wasn't identifying with uh, me as a performer so much. What does that it, mean? That means I was... Doing performance art and people were laughing. I didn't know why they were laughing. <laughs> right? I moved to LA and I was like, yeah, let's do shows. Like, I didn't know, I didn't think about it as like, you're introducing me. I'm a, I'm a performer. I would say only in the past couple of years have I done the road proper, but I came in the back alley for everything for comedy, for. For acting, like if I had come to L.A. with a stack of headshots, like, hey, I'm ready for acting, it would have never happened. I just came with a group of people like, I want to do some live shows and like, no business being in L.A. 
<laughs> no business, just doing weird shows because that that's what I was compelled to do. Like right. I, I could not have done it had I said, "All right, you're going to do acting and performing, especially not comedy." Like I didn't identify with that at all. <laughs> I had to figure out why people were laughing. <laughs> that's fascinating. So when you first got into show business, what was the goal? It's a weird word, show business. Isn't she? Isn't she a special lady? I'm I'm audition ready today. By the way, <laughs> if you notice I have a good brow and a good uh, eyeshadow line. Um, I'm such a woman. I'm really more of a woman now than I've ever been. What's I, that about? What's that about? Yeah, just growing up, letting mm. it go, letting it go. And I look back on my twenties and I'm like, you were a hot bitch. Like, what <laughs> was wrong with you? But I was so incapable of anything like so socially i mean i still am but i'm much much better now but it's awkward like, you're saying yeah awkward and just uh, but that's um i don't find you awkward so I, you. I think it's odd like every time i've talked to you we've had very fun comfortable conversations i never found you to be awkward i don't find you to be awkward either maybe we just don't make each other awkward <laughs> is that weird? My mind just went to an Instagram app. Oh, mm. that was creeptastic in my own mind. Swell. That one that goes in close and yeah. does the little stuff. We get programmed. Sorry. It's all right. Mm. But I, I honestly don't find you to be awkward. Like every time I've ever talked to you, it's been very, very comfortable, very easy. I agree. But I would also say that's kind of a recent development that you and I are speaking. Well, it's when I started coming back to the comedy store. Yes, yeah. which was what a couple years ago. Yeah, three now. I guess three something. Fourteen November of fourteen. I think it was because we've yeah. been in each other's orbit since. Right. You know. Yeah. Since news radio. Yeah, but I, we didn't really get a chance to like. Yeah. Hang out or be friends. Yeah. Till the store. You know, that's such an interesting little community, right? It's like everybody just kind of like, yeah. like, like, you want to talk about a positive community? Like, I was just expl explaining this to someone the other day. Like, w when I first started going there in 1994, there was a lot of conflict between comedians. There was like comedians that didn't like comedians. Like, oh, this guy doesn't like this guy and she doesn't like her. And they all fucking uh, yeah. duked it out with each other a little bit. There's none of that now. Yeah. It's, Think about how it's super amazing. supportive that place is. It's amazing. Like, it's, everybody's friendly. Yeah, I love it. Like, there might be a hundred of us there on a regular basis, like, in and out, doing Sunday through Monday. Yeah. And there's no conflicts. It's really fucking cool. Um, did you... I'm sure you've talked about this a million times. Did you, you did you ever stop going there for a chunk of time? Or you? I stopped for seven years. Oh, okay. Yeah. I stopped for seven years uh, after I had that dispute with Carlos right. Mencia. Yeah. That was when he was way more popular than me like especially as a comic and the comedy star took his side and i was like all right fuck That's you guys hard. and i i took off it wasn't really the comedy store either it was this one guy who was the manager because mitzi actually i called mitzi and gave her the whole rundown of what was going on um i told her and uh she's like well you just stay away from them and then she gave me a spot that night and then they called me up two hours later to tell me that i was banned so I said, wait a minute. I just talked to Mitzi. Like, she gave me a spot. She told me when to go up. So if, if she's not running the store, like, yeah. who's, who's deciding on band? You are? Like, what are you doing? Uh -uh. Like, do you guys understand what this is? I mean, this is like a little, you're having a little battle for, like, whether or not you're going to let people profit off of crime. 
Like, this is really what's happening. You have thought crime. You have intellectual crime. You have plagiarism. And you're allowing one person, you're knowingly allowing them to profit off it. And no one's doing anything about it. So when one of us does something about it, then you're going to punish that person. You're basically highlighting everything that everyone was afraid of. That's a good point. What is like? What were the? What was the reason for your being banned? Because you were well, because on their end of it, like they, what was? Because we had made a video with me and Carlos arguing on stage, and then we put it oh, online. Right. Okay. So I they kind of decided know that all this. this was, you know, somehow or another in, in violation that should have been kept inside the club. And I'm like, you don't get it. You weren't protecting us. No one was protecting us. My fucking agent stumped me. Over that? Oh, yeah. Over that. Yeah, I was with Gersh. They dropped me. Holy we had, shit. They had to call me up to tell me. They essentially, in this long roundabout way, were trying to say that I either had to apologize or they couldn't work with me anymore. That was, that was the gist of it. And I had to make them spell it out. Okay, let me say this r- really clear. You tell me if this is what you're saying. You're saying you want me to apologize or you can't work with me anymore. Well, we're done. You know, there's no apology, and we're never going to work together. I appreciate everything you've done for me, and I, I was really nice to the guy. who was, It wasn't his idea, my agent. So you're a great guy. I see you. I'm giving you a hug. But you guys have to understand that you're making a choice that's going to affect the rest of your life. This isn't just a small thing. You, you only have a few – how many years do you have in this life? Well, this year is going to be highlighted by this decision. This is going to be a and big why did you, why did the agent take that stand? Did they represent him as well? Yes. Oh, yes. okay. Um, All right, so they needed to make nice. Well, the that, whole thing. he, he, he made way more side. money than me, so it was I mean, he was way more valuable to them. And so I'm like, you got to make this is you sell art. That's all you guys do. Okay, you're not making anything. Right. You're just if Mary Lynn comes up with a show, if this guy has a, a tour, if if she's doing a this or he's writing a book, you make money off art. That's what you make money off. Now here you know a guy stealing other people's art. And your answer okay to it. that is, we got to stop people that are exposing it. Did he ever change? Or I don't know. Not that it even matters. I, don't know. But I hope he did. He's got to find Jesus. Did we he ever acknowledge it that night. he did it? Sort of. Yeah, sort of. And then he kind of took it back. It's hard to admit. Should I try you know? one of these? Should I try this? Are you ready is for it? Gonna, it? Is it insane? I should only have like one sip, it's right? Fucking crazy. Do you know my friend Tate? Tate Fletcher? Uh-uh. You've probably seen him around the store before. Big giant gorilla. Uh, it's his company. They're very right, good. But it. it's, if Don't you're drink the whole that, thing, Mary Lynn. I like oh, you can, it. But you I'm can gonna, do it. If it's, can you drink a, a, a grande coffee? Yeah. That's about a grande. Okay. Coffee's worth of caffeine. But it's strong. Oh, fuck. Okay? I gotta go. Jesus. I gotta go work out. Jesus. I gotta go in your isolation tank. Doom, doom, doom. Find yourself. I just found myself. Mm. And I peed a little. That's okay. Um, so you started out as a performance artist. Like, that was your idea. What did you want to do? <laughs> that was your that was your big idea. I went to art school for painting, and I was uh, um, got really frustrated when people started to uh, critique the paintings. And I was supposed to be, you know, the, getting more serious in art school and more conceptual. And everyone was doing something different, and everyone was critiquing it in a different way, and none of it made sense to me. And then the idea of having to sell that object that you made so you're gonna make something that's useless i mean it makes it sound like i don't like or appreciate art i just for me i didn't i couldn't grasp what the next thing to do was you know you're poor you're in art school you're making something and then you have to go sell and market that thing and uh i also was uh 
frustrated and, and kind of like boiling inside and needed to express myself. So I started doing performance art in school. And like then, what kind of stuff? Like when you say performance art, that's a pretty open-ended description, <laughs> it, right? It, oh, it's so open-ended. There were so many like weird performance art things that would happen. We, I mean, we had performance art class. There was a the guy that like taped his genitals to the side and put on lipstick in a mirror, and that was his performance art piece. <laughs> or the girl that like. <laughs> And we would all sit there and watch it. Oh my and, god, it's so weird! Did you see his genitals? Did he go naked and pull it aside, or how did he do that? That's a really good question. You, I like you how your mind just went there. Then. You're like, what actually happened? I think I blocked it out. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think you could probably get away with doing that under the guise of it being something you're doing, you know, in, in a class somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You can get away with that. So pervy. I think I was focused on his beautiful <laughs> lips. I was trying to be polite and not look down there. Another woman was obese, and her piece was she had pre-set up, we weren't where she was doing the performance, uh, butter pats in like dominoes, like a, you know, a few thousand of them in mm-hmm. a line, and she was obese, and she crawled on the ground. She didn't actually eat them, but it was something... It's weird. My mind kind of drops off. I remember specific parts of it, but I don't remember. I think she just was collecting the butter pieces and crawling, and we, that was her Oof. performance piece. Another guy, uh, the, uh, this was, I went to Detroit and then finished in San Francisco, and San Francisco is known for being a real uh, performance art history. A lot of the, you know, the most famous performance artists, <laughs> nobody knows. <laughs> where That was the scene, was in San Francisco, so... Uh, uh, it was two-story, really beautiful campus uh, overlooking. You could see uh, Lombard Street on one side. You could see the water on the other side. And uh, another guy's piece was to jump from the second story to a tree <laughs> to, like that he may or may not have made the jump. And that was his art piece. <laughs> his art piece is jumping from a window to a tree? Yeah. What the fuck? I know. This other guy, the room where we had our class, he had a bread machine. This was back, you know, bread machines were new technology. Had a, a bread maker. You know those machines you can mm-hmm. make a, I guess it just does the dough, right? Right. Or maybe it bakes it. I think it just needs the dough and then you bake it. Or I don't know if you bake it in the machine. Or, no, you bake it in the machine. It's all coming back to me. He bakes it in the machine. <laughs> we come into the classroom as he's baking it. There's always like a reveal in these pieces, right? So we come in. He's taken plaster from the wall and put it in the bread. He's fed us the bread Half of us get it. Half of us don't. <laughs> what? And there's plaster in the bread. Why, why do you put plaster in his bread? It was something about mm. communism. <laughs> 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 and some get the bread, some don't. But even if you get the bread, there's plaster in it. <laughs> so in your face. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh. Oh, my God. See, there's something about like performance art or, and slam poetry. Those are, I did slam poetry too. That was I the bet one. My, you did. You know, I did. <laughs> Here's the best part: is I got zeros. You got zeros? Yeah. You didn't get any. Why? I never really wrote any poetry. I was just into the performance of it, and I. <laughs> so you didn't have a, a poem. I think I was doing comedy. Oh no! And, and they I was doing like real... an awkward thing. Well, I mean, which was very real for me. But I think I just wanted to express. My, I also right. had an ex-boyfriend who he said comedy was his life. This was when I was like nineteen, and I think I attached to people. I, like I thought he was the shit because he would be rude to people. Like that was his version of comedy. Was like bossing people around 
or one of his bits was like having a whistle and directing traffic. I mean, really adolescent, like, but for some reason I was really attracted to him and uh, like I wanted to be him. Anybody who was like extroverted or something that I wanted, that's, I was attracted to that, right? So, right. so he was like, comedy is my life and I, I do this open mic and I was like, I'm going to do that open mic. And I had taped like phrases to my body and and <laughs> phrases from commercials or snippets of conversation that I had heard. And I went up and I started reading them. And then I would improvise a little bit and I'd be like, waxy build up or whatever. And just <laughs> repeating, just letting it all filter through and come out my mouth for five minutes of whatever the open mic was. And I started getting laughter, but it was like awkward laughter laughter after the fact of that uncomfortable like what it, what is she doing but my commitment right. level was so high that the fact that it didn't make any sense just caused laughter right 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 well that so, does that works sometimes with just even with comics you yes, know absolutely like, there's a lot of people that are just really odd and if you saw them you would get it but if you, you saw what they wrote on paper, or what they said, just written down on paper, you would be like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, I thought you were going to say, which is a similar point, that, that that it comes in the pause and after what they're saying, even if it doesn't make any sense. But you're saying sometimes people write things and it makes its own sense when you hear them say yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and but it's also just about being fully or committed. Or the pause. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and those pauses, yeah, that gives you, especially when something's really absurd, gives you that opportunity to go, what? Yeah. You don't want to just hammer them over the head with it. So you just started doing that, and how did it lead to actual stand-up stand-up? Um, it was a really fun time in San Francisco because the comedy clubs were closing, so a lot of comics were coming to these open mic poetry rooms, and one of my favorite rooms was in this bar. And also I was... From the suburbs of Detroit. And so just being in San Francisco, uh, that was a real city and a friendly city, you know, like it's right. small enough and it's beautiful and they have a real arts scene. And it was the first time that I had seen like a real counterculture and people that would hang out in coffee shops and, and a lot of young people that looked like I did. So I would go to bars for this open mic and there'd be, um, you know, like a transvestite who was semi-homeless but was you know made up who was like reading her poetry and I was like I'm in like I'm done and I had no money and I would sit and crouch on the floor and drink like a half a beer and be like oh this is crazy <laughs> and I would watch her read from her journal and I did a similar thing where I would just and then it was always I didn't I didn't know my own mind or my own thoughts really so I would write down random words and I would perform it I mean and still now it, it's you know, it, I've progressed a bit, but it's like it informs you how the audience reacts or it begins right. to. And I just love seeing all these like different people and what what they thought they were saying versus what they were really saying and what their intended effect was and how people were really seeing them. Anyway, so so comics started dropping into these rooms like Patton Oswalt and um, Jeremy Kramer and uh, Blink Patch and, you know, the, uh, Greg Barrett, all these uh Ron Lynch, people that were more uh, San Francisco affiliated that were there at that time, would start doing these open mic nights. Um, but because th a comic is so versed in their own voice that watching them was so – I was like, oh, that they know how to speak and they're more polished. And then that was attractive to me. So, so I kind of gravitated towards – 
and there were all these alternative rooms that weren't comedy clubs. Right, and right, that right. was like, I loved that. I just loved it. Because there was room for mistakes. There was room for the in-between. You know, it was like that, the, the, the real alt scene of that time. Yeah, that alt scene is interesting. It's always interesting when like a little branch of a style of comedy breaks off. You know, and some people do it because that's like it, it's, it feels more true to them. Right. And then some people do it because it seems like the cool hip thing to do. And then some people it's just a combination of both. Right. The alt scene's an interesting scene, you know, because it, it also is attached to that one place that doesn't pay anybody. The UCB. Yeah. And I was always like, wait, what? Oh, you mean because they're making money and no one else is making yeah. money? Yeah. I was, I was always like, What? Huh? Like, yeah, how does that com- make sense? No, people don't get paid at comedy clubs as well. Well, sure they do. Comedy store pays you. You mean like 25 bucks? 25 bucks for regular sets, and then you get a lot more than that if you do the main room. Right. The main room, they pay you real money. So you're saying, why doesn't UCB throw 25 pay. bucks to you people? Got, you have to pay them something. People are paying to go there. Right. They're paying for gas. They're, they're, they're traveling there. Right. You're selling tickets to see them do their art. Right. But yeah, but you if you're going to take that line, then everybody should be paid a lot more. There should be a well, genuine so percentage. It's really only the comedy store. Well, like going store. back to that argument from uh, the comedy store from yeah, the yeah. 70s. But that was a, it's a legit argument. Yeah. I mean, it's not legit that, look, this is where we live, and it's a really important place to work out. Right. Right. So we need it, and we right. want it to be there. Yeah. And they pay you a little bit, but if they didn't pay you anything, like the comedy store went UCB and just didn't pay anybody anything. Oh, that's interesting. So I you're saying even that little amount that. Is, a, is an important... It's something. Yeah. Like, especially it was important when the club wasn't making any money. So if the club, I mean, the old right. days of the OR, you know, you got that 25 bucks, like, look, they're giving 25 bucks to 15 people. Fine. How much money are they really making? I get what you're saying. Because UCB, you're saying, has that vibe of like, hey, it's a workshop. And and you're like, you guys are making money off of it. They're opening up new places. Right. I mean, this is a business, right? I'm not telling them what to do or telling anybody who performs what to do. I've performed there before. Right. It's just, it's kind of weird. It's like these festivals. I got invited to one of those festivals once. They offered to give me a pass, like a gold pass where I could watch all the other acts. That's what they were going to pay me with. They weren't going to fly me. They weren't going to put up right. in a hotel. They weren't going to give me any money. It reminds me of that thing in Steve Martin's book where he's he, where he made that choice. And again, very different time, very different scene where he's like, I'm only headlining for money. Like he made that conscious choice that would not mm. work now. And like you said, we, you know, I work out in town. I don't expect to get paid, but it does. It makes a difference that the comedy store, there's a, that system that is in place mm-hmm. really works. You know, it's it like, does. I'm a paid regular. That was a big deal. Yeah. Cause I remember I had been on, on the road doing comedy really for the first time in the club proper, even though I had tons of stage time, but you know, back connecting it back to that alt scene where it would be a different thing every time. And I right. didn't know, not quite know what I was saying. So, you know, in the past four years was when I did the six shows per weekend and you're like, I'm your entertainment for the night. And I, you know, learned how to do that. Like, right, when people came out to see you. Yes, and like, they got a don't mumble. Yeah. Tell them what you're talking about. Repeat your theme, you know? Yeah. Smile. Talk yeah. to people. Uh, you know, I learned how to do that. And um, what was my point? Do you oh, feel I- in any way confined by that? Because you, your beginnings were so sort of free and you do I think it's you like a reverse, the confinement of that is serving me because I needed to do that. 
it took me, I went about it like completely opposite. I was mm. so organic that now I'm finally getting some structure. I'm like for the first time like, oh, that's a joke. I wrote a joke. <laughs> like I honestly was like, like I said, I had no oh. idea why people were laughing. I knew I liked it, but I wasn't right. exactly sure where it was going to come. And I knew that it ha I had a deep connection to it. You know, that's what propelled me to do it. I had a need to, to do it. Mm. It was the only thing. And it kind of saved me. I needed to, I mean, not to get all overly dramatic. but Comedy kind of saved you? Performing, yeah. Because I just was really, um, uh, didn't know how to ex express myself. And it still, to this day, is like an ever kind of deepening thing, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a very weird discipline, right? Yeah. It's a weird thing to uh, get involved with. You know, chase down these ideas and try to figure out how to flesh them out and do you give them structure. Do you feel like you were always, because um, I see you as somebody who's like so powerful and such such a strong point of view and strong belief system. Do you feel like you've always kind of been that way? No. I don't think so. I think comedy for sure makes you chase down those ideas. Like what is, what is your real feelings on things? Yeah. Cause you're thinking about things so often. And then as you're saying things, you're thinking about people's reaction to them. That's a big one. A big one is that comedy has allowed me to really pay attention to other people's reactions more than like, I think I wanted to, because I think if I had my own way and I had nothing to do with stand-up, I probably would be way more antisocial, way more guarded and protected, and way more insecure because I hadn't answered those questions. I didn't pose them of myself because they made me uncomfortable. Yeah. So what stand-up allowed me to do is like I wasn't the most outgoing person. I was really? Very, yeah, yeah. I was very insecure. And uh, even so, I'd get like social anxiety. I, I've talked about this before, but I would like talking to a bank teller. I'd be, I'd know that I'm next to talk to the bank teller and I'd kind of freak out. And I wouldn't know how to, I would, wouldn't exactly know how to talk and say things and do it right. But I, it changed from teaching martial arts. When I started teaching martial arts, um, I learned how to project in front of like this big room full of people, which is something I never imagined I was going to do. Any public speaking before that, it was never on the menu. I never even thought about it. But when I taught classes, I had to teach them. And I was teaching uh, like in universities. I taught at BU and I taught at some other places, uh, some other gyms and stuff. And you, you, know, you have to get these people's attention. You have to be clear and you have to have confidence. And but I knew what I was doing with right, martial arts. Right, I was just going to ask you that. It probably helped a lot. For Even sure. Even if you were nervous, you were like, let the skill kind of take over. Yeah. We would oftentimes, like, if we opened up a new school somewhere, we'd do a demonstration. And then you'd, we'd, they'd give a speech afterwards, explain what the martial arts were. But we'd do a demonstration first. Like, people would hold, like, boards and shit, and you'd kick them and stuff like that, which we never did in real life. We only did for demonstrations. Like, we never trained that way. But my point was, like, getting into stand-up, I didn't have a particularly clean point of view. I think I was 21 years old. I was thinking I was a moron. You know, I didn't have any life experience other than martial arts I, and girls. Like, that was all I could talk about. And I didn't, and <laughs> I knew martial arts weren't really funny. So it was just relationship <laughs> stuff. But, um, hey guys, how about when we hit that block? We don't really do that. Am I right? <laughs> What's up relate? with us kicking those blocks of wood, guys? I mean, seriously. Yeah, I mean, I had a, um, a similar thing of it it, it helps yeah. to, to just even say anything and to be like oh i exist i mm -hmm. have a voice 
and I'm just now starting to, I mean, I have a lot of material that's true, but I'm just now kind of starting to build that deeper, um, the belief system thing, you know, like I talk about my personal life and there are kernels of things in there, but it's, it's scary to kind of come out. And, yeah. But it's fun. Cause that's what people want. You know, that's what, like, that's what gets it going and that's what gets everybody excited. And that's what, uh, I don't know, it's cool. Yeah. You know what comedy has taught me? One really important thing as a person, you're not done. Like there's no Never. Done. there's no like you're a finished product. Yeah, I did it. No, you're changed depending upon your attitude about how you look at your very existence right now. Like it can shift within an hour. It can shift back and forth. You could it could shift in a day or two. It's like if you take a few weeks off of stand up. I was just gonna ask you that. Do you is it hard for you to get back? Yeah, it always feels weird. I haven't done it very often, but um, I did it a couple of times in my career where I got like surgery or something like that. And I had to take some time off. And then I got burnt out once, maybe like five years ago, and I took three months off. And it was that, that was crazy. That was real weird. But then when I got back into it, it was before I came back to the store, too. So it was a real issue with me, like, going on stage. Like, the improv never felt like home. It was like a place to fuck around. It was a nice club. But it never – I didn't hang out there. It just felt weird. Didn't feel the same. So I'd just do a set there, and then I'd get out of here. So I was missing, like, the camaraderie aspect of it. And I just finished a special, and I just didn't want to do anything for a while. I wanted to chill. And so I took like three months off. But then when I came back, I came back with uh, like a lot of purpose. Like I really was enthusiastic about it. I had been thinking about coming back for like a couple of weeks before I actually did it. But um, you, you're always working at it. Like always. It's always – you're always, you're always in, in, in the process of like reaffirming – thinking things through, understanding who you are. You know, it, it varies with your health, varies with how you're eating. It varies with who's in your life. Like your comedy radically varies. Like how you interface with an audience radically, how you look at yourself, all that varies so much. It's never done. Have you ever been on stage and just uh, been, I don't, not angry, but like not enjoying, kind of not wanting to be on stage and it shows in your performance or does, do you always get out of it? through performing yeah, you do, or, there's or definitely, speaking it. You can get upset. There's, there was a woman who uh, kept heckling me in the front row of the comedy store, just interrupting, just stopping bits before I had a chance to explain them. And then finally I had to kick her out. And it was so annoying. The way she did it was so, it was so entitled. Like she was entitled to voice out her opinion in the middle. It was a, I was doing this chunk last year of my last special about this guy who broke into the White House. That a guy just broke into the White House. You would think there would be all these things in place to keep someone from breaking the White House. The guy just humped across the lawn, ran across the lawn, got to the front door, and there was only a girl sitting there. One unarmed girl (laughs) by herself. He smacked her to the ground and just ran through the fucking White House. And I had this whole bit about whose idea it was to just leave a girl by herself. I think I've seen you do that. And then I said that this is the part like this lady interrupted me. Um, I said, you know, a lot of people think that women can do everything men can do, right? And I go, well, that doesn't make sense because men can't even do everything men can do. So I was in the middle of saying that doesn't even make sense because, and the joke is, and I it explained to her, I go, I, the joke is, lady, I've met Shaquille O'Neal and his dick is where my face is. And if the White House is experiencing a shack attack, <laughs> I'm the wrong dude to save the world. <laughs> He's going to run me over. But, you know, and that... I tried to explain that 
and like she just wanted to interrupt anything that had to do with men or women. So that was annoying, and I did not have a good set that night because it was like Jesus Christ, just get the fuck out of here. And had a and she apparently had done that to some guys that were on before, and she was so drunk when I was looking at her, her eyes weren't focusing. It's just some smart lady that was drunk that thought she could stop what she thought was sexism. Probably because she was drunk. But there's a difference between like you then overcoming it and being like, ha ha, that was awesome. And then the feeling of, I think what I'm. I was tense. Yeah. Like where you're just inside your own head going, I don't want to be here. Like that sucked. Like it's not fun. It wasn't that. It was just like, I shouldn't have allowed myself to get so upset. But I, I came into the stage upset. That was part of the problem is that I had a crazy day with a lot of fucked up things happened. And I carried that energy onto the stage. There was a lot of weird shit that happened in my life that day. It was just like enough, enough, fucking enough. And then her. You know? Yeah, it was like weird shit with friends and a couple weird business things. It was like a compounding day. And then this lady was hammered. And just and, and I, I gave her the benefit. I, tr- I tried to talk her into just release. And I explained to her, this is how the bit would have gone if you didn't erupt. <laughs> I go, okay, get it. See, I'm going to say something outrageous. Then I'm going to say something more fucked up about myself. This is what I do. So I did it again, and she interrupted again. I'm like, get the fuck out. Just get out. Just get out. And I was, But I was really upset. And you shouldn't really get upset. So when you allow yourself to get really upset, it's usually because you came into it unbalanced. And again, right. it's always you're, nev- you're never done. Like you might think, well, I understand how to behave now. I've got my shit together. I get it. But you don't. You, do, you get it right now. But if you let it slip – you won't get it tomorrow. If you have the wrong attitude or the wrong approach and the wrong dude cuts you off, you're like, fuck off. You're like, ah, where'd over. that come from? Yeah. Shit. You know? And going back to what we were talking about earlier when you said you're not awkward, I, you, two things. Uh, you, you are, you're much more of a teddy bear now than you used to be, don't you think? <laughs> I've never thought of myself <laughs> as a teddy bear. but Well, when I see I'm, you I'm, now, you're just like, you're just, not and I'm not saying you weren't like this before, but you just are so like positive and loving, loving and kind of like, you know, you can feel it. Whereas, and you know, there's a lot of baggage in the past, and and we never not baggage, but like I was like, oh, that guy hates women. Oh, that guy hates me. But that was also when Duncan was hanging out with you. And, you know, he and I just broke up, so that was the baggage I was referring to. But, like, oh, yeah. I just thought, you know, you have such a strong energy that I was like, oh, that guy and I... Not that I... It's weird, because I wasn't, like... I just was... I just never pictured us talking easily. Yeah. Not saying that it wouldn't have happened then, because it, it just didn't, but I was like, whoa, right. what, what's up with that dude? I get it. I've said on, on, on stage a bunch of times that I, like, I look like a sexist. Like I look like <laughs> I would be a dick. I just, that's what I look like. You know, there's like not much you could do, but if you lift weights and you have a fat head, you know, you look like a dickhead. There's just, right? There's no what way around it. What was that thing I was like, uh, kind of watching some of your recent podcasts where it was like, of the shirts the feminine for oh the future is feminine the future is feminine i want to wear i want to wear the future is masculine and you wear the future is feminine and then we just walk around (laughs) for whatever that image of yourself i'm like the equal but opposite like if i built my compound it'd be like 
crystals and lavender and soft. You know what the problem with that statement, the future is feminine, is is the problem with every single statement. You cannot boil down the future well, to one course, fucking sentence. Of course. You just can't. It's that's just, why it would be funny. It's preposterous. It would be funny. I would like to just wear the future is masculine and just not acknowledge it. What's up? That's yeah, right. the future is masculine, guys. <laughs> Get used to it. <laughs> you should roll a pack of cigarettes in one of your sleeves. <laughs> like, like the fawns. Fuck you, man. <laughs> is that masculine for you? Yeah, no, it makes no sense. No, it's silly. Oh, and then the other thing that we, when I was talking about going on the road, um, which I was going to mention co- coming back to the store, because I was there in the 90s too, and it was just like a terrible place and a bad weird. vibe and like weird vibe, right? Dark and dank. And what year did you get there? Uh, I moved to LA in 94, and I was in San Francisco for a couple years before that. 94. Or ninety five or something. Did you like perform that. at the clubs in San Francisco as well? I did. Um, did you bars. Do the punchline? Oh, you did bars. I never did the punchline. Have you still done it? Have you done it since? I have. Yeah, it's fucking great. amazing. It's great. I that love it. That place is amazing. I love it. Yeah, Cobb's was a little strange. It's big ceiling. It's so big, and the people are way back there that are in the balcony. They're way back. Oh my gosh! Hi, hi back there. My husband, who like he used to before we had a child, he used to come see my one woman show that I did. Uh, I think he came like every... Anyway, he saw me at Cobb's and he sat back there and he, it was a great assessment because he goes, you've gotten really good because I had been <laughs> on the road. But he goes, that's a really hard room because these people, Different. especially that late show, like they've just had dinner and they're there mm-hmm. and it's so dark and it's it's like a room. I don't know. Some people love it, but it's a room that's sort of seen its heyday at a different time that it would be packed out. I don't know. Maybe you like it. If you pack well, it out and I, they're there I to do, see you. I do like that room, it but works. it's a different room than it used to be. I used to do the old Cobbs. That's where I met um, – man, I did uh, – that's where I met Al Madrigal. Al Madrigal started working together in like 1998 or some shit. Really? Yeah. It was a long time ago. But um, the old one was tiny, like just a little bit bigger than the belly room. I mean it was oh, like, I like, that. like 100 seats or something like that. It was really ridiculously small. I think – I might be off by a little. It might be like 130, but they would stuff everybody in there to get 130. And it was this tiny little club. And I used to work it, even though um, it would actually, I could make less money there than I could at, at the punchline. I liked it better. I was like, this place is better. It's like, it's grimy, it's tiny. And then Tom Sawyer, the guy who ran it, was like a, a huge comedy nerd. Like, yeah. the dude really loved comedy. And so I liked that. And I'm like, good, he's supporting good comedy. Fuck it. So I started going there. So then when they turned into the new place, I was like, this is the opposite of what you guys right. were. You guys were the most intimate club, and now you're like oh, one of the I most see. cavernous. That makes sense. Yeah, clubs have to be like, they've got to be right on top of you. you oh, know, I was going to say, I came back from um, going on the road for the first time and doing the six shows, and I was on 24, which I love that we're just full on comedy shop talking, by the way. Um, that we do that all the time. I do that all the time. Does it, does it feel unusual? N- no, no, I no. I like it. I like it. Um, I just got a little self conscious for a minute. Oh. Like anyway, the rooms and the ceiling. And this is it's interesting. A funny thing, but it's, I think people enjoy it too because they like hearing people who are professionals talk about what makes it good and what makes it bad. And then when they're there themselves, they go, "Oh yeah, the room's kind of t- high in this place. Mm-hmm. Oh, this place is intimate." Uh, yeah, okay, so I was on. Uh, so you gave me the confidence to get back in it. So I was on twenty four when it came back, and we filmed in London because it had been done for like two years, and they brought it back. 
And it was the end of that airing, and it was the first time I was going on the road as a comic. So because my face was on TV and people were super into 24, my show's packed out. The first time I had ever gone on the road, right? My first 45, 50-minute show. And I first hit the stage at, like, Side Splitters, Tampa, or whatever. You know, it's like, you, all your shows are sold out. And um, first of all, my opener and my middle are like this is great it's sold out but then when they got on the stage they come up they're like your audience is weird <laughs> because they're 24 fans and they were all, they don't come out to clubs right right, right. like i would sometimes have a, somebody sitting like with a uh, this guy had an article of clothing that i had worn in season three so i'm like trying to do comedy like oh, okay like you just want me to sign your thing but you know and my approach was because I'm in my own head, so I'm like, hi, so my name's Mary Lynn, and doing doing my, like, I'm uncomfortable, and that's where my comedy comes from. Right. And the whole vibe was like, what? You know, like, you're a TV star. Like, we came to see you, and I, and I had to adjust and, like, take that in, and then not only take it in, but talk about it, you know? Like, yeah. uh, you know, and I would just be like Jack Bauer, and they'd be like, ha, 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 like, losing their shit, and, like, wow. I would just make somebody in the audience, like, you're my Jack Bauer, and then I just, you know, <laughs> had to make it, like, 5, 10, 15 <sighs> minutes of, like, let's talk about it, because it was such an amazing thing, yeah. you know, and it was to me, too, but I had this whole, that was the only drama I had ever been on, and I had this whole other world of comedy that I had been doing, but th- the intersection of that was just, like, bizarre but but then i you know like you said you're never done and you never know what's going to happen and you adjust to it so i would do the 24 stuff and then i would go into my stuff that's my stuff about my life my personal life and my point of view and uh then that became really gratifying you know once i sort of brought them in right. like did, did the thing that they needed to hear about which is also part of my life. So, you know. How long did it take before they stopped coming to see you because you're from 24 and started coming to see you because you're a funny comic? Oh, I'm still waiting for that to happen. <laughs> I'm still hoping for a career in comedy. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. You well, don't... then it dropped off, right? So I did that same circuit a year and a half later, and there would be some super fans, there would be some comedy fans, and there would be some people that didn't know why the hell they were there. So, oh, so, so then I around. would have, yeah, the guy that knows me from Always Sunny in Philadelphia, the lady that knows me from 24, and the guy who's out of his mind on drugs going, <laughs> you're not funny. And I'm like, <sighs> you know, and that this poor person's like, she's a superstar. Like, why is she in this shithole? And the other guy's like, I don't know who she is. And then that guy's like, you don't get what I get because she's from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And then I would pit them against each other. I'm like, she doesn't get it, but you get it. And it's like, oh, the burden of being so versatile, you know, such a cross to bear. It must have been a fun transition, though, once you got through the initial stages, because a lot of people would have bailed. Like, a lot of people will, okay, fuck, fuck doing the road. This is just too crazy. Yeah. It's too weird. I love it. I mean, it sucks, but I love it. It's awesome. But it's it's sort of changed who you are then, right? Like who what you think of yourself. You're like a real comic now. Yeah. 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 I can you know, for so many years I had that little like, oh, you haven't done the road. Like you haven't really done it and now yeah. I'm like, no, no, I I know how to do this. Fuck, there's so many people that don't do the road that I wish would leave, you know? I'm like, god, you got to experience it. You got to go out there. You, but they don't want to do like the shitty road. Well, you have to do the shitty road. You I also get- learned something about myself, the shitty road, um because I I would not have a car, and I'd take the hotel that they gave me that would be by the freeway that mm. would be not even near the city and a little bit from the club, and I'd just hole up. And then I, <laughs> it took me a while to realize, like, oh, you like that. <clears throat> like, I like a certain amount of suffering and, like, 
oh, it's so shitty here. I'm going to go like walk along the freeway. And then, you know, someone would be like, why don't you, why didn't you get a car? I'm like, I don't know. I just walked over to Chili's for lunch and, uh, along the grass on the side of the freeway. I like it. I like it. So you actually like the dinginess of weird cities. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Or I don't know. The part of me likes the shittiness of it. Just a like there was one Bukowski esque. I don't know why. There was one hotel room that had like a a dining room table for ten and like this big these big plastic flowers with dust all over them and this weird hot plate with foil on it and a walk in closet. But it was the shittiest, most run down. Like who's <laughs> Who's partying in here? Like, whose fancy hotel suite is this? It couldn't have been shittier. <laughs> and it was, yeah, I guess it's just fascinating. And and I, I like being comfortable, you know? I like having my things, but I guess I like that, too. Yeah. I like feeling the pain of that. What, uh, whatever, well, sure, I'm just not also, being comfortable. But also because it's in contrast to your life in L.A., right? I mean... yeah. Fucking TV star, get some cash, Oof. right? So then you so uh, much cash do it on the, the road time. all the time. I've seen Ooh. those pictures on your Instagram. You just throw diamonds and gold, just throwing it up in the air. Ooh. Um, but your your thing is isolation tank. Mine is I get in one of those blowers where the money. That's what I do in the morning. <laughs> I just get in my little room. I'm like money. It's just a cyclone of hundreds. Oh, yeah. surround me. I get a money massage. Yeah, it's so great. But when you're in the road and you're in like a shitty hotel in Pittsburgh or something, it's in the middle of January, you look out and the sky's like a sh- shitty, dark, smoky gray. There's not even a hint of sun. It's noon. You look out, nothing. Yeah. Everybody's got this look on their face. <clears throat> Everybody's a sourpuss. You're just wiping dust off the window. So, I like that weird air conditioning or heater. That doesn't yeah. really work and just My blows in one ones area. Crank on. Yeah, yeah, loud yeah, yeah. In the middle yes, of the night, you like, can't control oh, you them. Fucking asshole. I once had a lady in a hotel room. Uh, how did this go? She was the receptionist. God, it's all a blur. I don't even remember what city it is. Um, one of those low mid hotels. She calls me. I'm napping. It's like after you do the radio or something, I'm napping. Oh, hi. Um, there's a fan down here with a bottle of wine for you. Can I send him up? Swear to God. I've never felt more unsafe or on the verge of a breakdown. First of all, you woke me up. Second of all, you're, you're the gateway between... But it was such a small town and it was so such a foreign concept to her. To me, I was like, that's inherent, right? Like you're right. you're the protection that I have. From, Should yeah. I send him up? A stranger who stopped at the hotel with drugs. With a bottle of wine. He's got a bottle of drugs for you. Yeah. Should I send him up? Seems like a good move. And then, you know what I did as I actually <laughs> took his I could hear him in the background going, No, 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 that's okay. Like he actually was a nice guy. Mm. But nice enough of a person that would do but he that. wanted to bring a bottle of wine. To that was, room. I think that was her idea. Yeah. And so then I started like, instead of going, what the fuck are you talking about? I just went, oh, okay, well I'll come down and get it. And then I came down and met him. And, but it was so, 
unsettling. And that was her idea. It wasn't his idea. But instead of saying, don't do that and setting her straight, I took the middle road. How well did you go back to sleep after that? (laughs) Not so good, right? Well, I drank that bottle of wine (laughs) and had the best show of my life. We're hung over at the show. (laughs) Yeah, that's creepy. It's um, Ali Wong has a great bit. I'm not going to do it justice. Uh, and I don't want to paraphrase it either. And I don't want to tell anybody what it's about. But it's essentially the difference between life for a woman comic on the road versus oh, life yeah, for a yeah. male comic. You know, it's a big difference. Yeah. The uh, the danger level. Like, that's like guys that get to get obsessed with you. You know, want to bring you wine and shit. And, like, that stuff, that's got to be weird. I had another guy. It was the guy who held the sweater. He's like... Uh, it's your sweater from season three so that you wore. So he bought it somehow online? He bought it. And then after the show, he want, he showed me, I don't know what's wrong with me because I'm like, he was a really nice guy. Like, this is a terrible situation. Right. And, but I, for whatever reason, I'm like, he needs me to listen to him right now. And <laughs> I stood there like, what is wrong with me? He had two thick photo books of the thousands of dollars of memorabilia and the pictures of all the items and the itemized of shit from the show and again i'm there i'm looking around like anybody seeing this no just me and him okay yeah you guys continue cleaning because that's the weird thing too because i'm a superstar on one end but on the other end it's like not really i don't have the money i'm not bringing anyone with me i'm you know i'm like a regular headliner most places do have security though right most places they uh, yeah sure yeah, they just probably weren't aware that they should be paying attention. Yeah, may, yeah maybe they thought yeah. that's a friend of hers. It's like, also a cool. weird thing. Like, when do you step in? The guy's got a bunch of books filled with memorabilia. Okay, like when that seems okay. Like that doesn't like it's just a he's a very 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 enthusiastic fan. Yes, but like at what point in time is everybody go? Hey, 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 hey. What? And you know, ultimately, I'm glad I did it because I feel I like I validated kinda... him, even though I wanted to go like. What happened? You spent $75,000 on all this stuff. Like, but what can you do? So I was like, that's, this is great. You can give this him a lock of your hair. You should've, did a really good job. She just reached out with a pair of scissors. This is for you. And if you're listening, you did do a really good job. And you have a lot of really cool stuff that no one else has. There you go. And I'm happy for you. Was it, It's always weird when you're a comic too and you're, or you're, comedian in nature and um you you do something that's not comedic right yeah like if you're a comedian and you do a drama show like 24 was basically like a drama right yeah it's one of the most serious shows ever ever right super drama i think i messed up no i should have just rolled into another drama (laughs) she's like like, i had to open my mouth and show everybody how not the computer genius I am. Like, what is wrong with me? I'm a wa- I'm a. I've set up obstacles. You know her from 24. What? Welcome right. the comedy stylings of. What? Do you remember when Richard Belzer got on Law and Order? Oh yeah. And everybody was like, "What?" And then stop being funny. Like he doesn't do any comedy anymore. I don't think. Right. I think. That I gotta show, clean up my act. That Sh- show should I only be funny now, or should I get on another drama? <sighs> Well, I think you should stay funny. Just be the funny. Just do that. Oh, I never completed this, whatever, the story of going through being on the road and then coming back to the store and Mm -hmm. thinking like, I got it because I've been on the road, right? Right. Coming back, doing the main room, 
don't got it at all. Dry mouth, terrible set. Guy in the front row is miming falling asleep and mouthing to me how boring I am because I'm like... Wow. It was intense. But that's also the beauty of the store because you, cause you're like, oh, that was one thing on the road and this is another thing. Like You got to go deeper and get real. And- it's running with a weight vest on. That's what I describe it. You can run fast with a weight vest on if your legs are strong. But otherwise, you're going to be fucked. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an intense place. I remember you and I were talking about something there once, like fairly recently, like within the last year, where you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I told you. I'm like, I'm quitting. I quit. Were you serious? I couldn't tell if yeah, you were serious. Yeah, of course. Or, deadly. You know? That's me every six days. Or if I take more than two days off, I'm like, I'm done. I don't need to talk to anybody or go, <laughs> go anywhere or do anything. Like, I'm done. Like, that's my nature. That's what I fight with. What brings you back? What gets you from there to, fuck it, I'll just go do it? I just force myself. <laughs> I just force myself. But you don't have 100% confidence in your future resolve. Like, you don't. No. <laughs> in the future do you think there's going to come a time where you just a week turns into a month turns into a year and it then could. 24 again comes on well, didn't they do 24 <laughs> with the black guy wasn't that yes, recent yes, is that still yes. okay is it still good no it's, do- it's done it, it yeah died? they did it with a whole new cast yeah I think it went one season well that's what happens fucking white people you ruined it Thanks, white people. Thanks, white people. You didn't promote it good enough. You promoted it great for Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, I didn't understand where you're going with that. Yeah. Black actor, and you fucking half ass and cancel it before people grew to love it. I think that was a pretty tough uh, act to follow. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, people get angry when you redo something like that. Yeah. You know, you call it the same thing. Like, fuck off. It's not 24. I will come up with another name. Yeah, I think that was a hard. The world's in trouble. <laughs> I like that. Super cool black guy. <laughs> who was the guy that played the... Corey Hawkins? Is that I right? Don't know who that gentleman yeah, is. Yeah, he's great. Just, um, they fucked him. Goddamn yeah. White people. Fucking fucked him white over. people. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking hate white people. That's my take on it. So, are you going to do a special, you think? I'd like to. I'd like to. You should. I want... Yes. I think you're very funny. Thanks, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Thank you. I, I do. I think you're hilarious. I'm, I'm glad you're doing it still. Like when you were telling me that, that you were going to quit, I'm like, you're you were, not. You were my angel that night. You really were. You lifted me up from the depths. I love that you're like, were you serious? I'm like, no, you, you lifted me up <laughs> from the depths of hell. Well, I could tell you were really down. I was like, that's crazy. I know, I know who's funny. You're, you're hilarious. And you're really nice. You know? So I was like, you know. It's a weird thing to to do. It's a weird thing to do. And maybe you don't have to. None of us do, really. I mean, there's going to come a I point in time it. in my life where I'm probably like, eh, I'm not going to do this anymore. But for right now. But that's it, cool that you um, love the live show as much as you do. It's the struggle. I, lo- I really enjoy struggling. I do. I think it's very important. It's very important for my balance as a person. Especially me. I, I have maniacal genetics. My brain is just has to be constantly overrun with things to think about and do. My brain just wants to go 
Just come on. Let's go. We need more fucking stimulation. Let's go. It, it always needs something. So what I do is just stuff it filled with information, work it out, get it to run hills and do jujitsu and yoga and burn that motherfucker out <laughs> so that I could be calm. And so what you've a lot of what people notice today versus how I was like 20 years ago is it's just I understand myself better. I'm better at managing my like whatever are the things that make you you. I'm better at managing those to be very positive, to just be just overall. And my attitude is very different, too. It's overall just nicer to people. And how did you become nicer? Just realized that when I'm at my best, that's who I am. And the only variation between that and when I'm at my worst. Wait, do you think you weren't nice before? Yeah, I was nice. I just wasn't as nice as I am now. I've always been nice. But I've always been nice. I'm quicker to pull the trigger back then right you know and i'm i'm less much do you remember when we were at the comedy store this was pretty recently and uh that guy came into the bathroom when i was in there you totally pulled like the best male like strong guy it was it was so good (laughs) you're like because i i think the guy was like on coke or a combo of something and again, it's like, do I not have regard for my own being? Because a part of me kind of left my body and was like, wow, this guy is crazy. Because he's like, give me a kiss. And it's like in the women's bathroom. Right, right, right. And then I think someone, he had done it to someone else. So it was kind of going around. And then I ran into you and I was like, yeah, that just happened to me. And you were like, what? Where is he? And you were immediately like, I'm going to beat his ass. But simultaneously, you were like, get security to get this guy. It was so awesome. Well, that guy was a creep. It was so creepy. I was upset that I wasn't there as it was happening. I know. Yeah. That's unfortunate that you're always going to have to. But I rarely like enjoy or, or, or that like that response that you had. I was like, <laughs> that was awesome. I like this. You rarely I could enjoy be a lady it. after all. <laughs> I just don't know how to do it. Well, I missed the boat. But I think the only reason why you can enjoy it is because it is in stark contrast to how I behave when people are nice. So you realize there's a difference, right? It's like it's break glass, break glass in case of emergency. You know, that was an emergency. Like this is a a real creep. It's cool to see that. So many coked up assholes at that fucking store lately. There's so many coked up weirdos. Are there? Coke must be making a comeback in Hollywood. It must be. I'm kind of like put my blinders onto it. Probably should. There's a lot of people with fucking bright eyes and ideas and business plans. Ideas. They want to fucking pitch. By the way, that's what I need. If you're the overactive, I'm the opposite. Like if I see a bed out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, oh, that that could be great right now. Like that's my avoidance tactic. Just like just go to sleep. Yeah, I can't do that. It doesn't work. I just lie there and think. But my sort of road of discovering, like, my hidden anger core, I'm like, like oh, like like peeling off the layers of, like, oh, she's uncomfortable. She's quiet. She doesn't react. And it's like, no, no, no. They're in there. You've just buried them, like, all of your feelings in, like, politeness. (laughs) And so that's comedy has helped me with that, too. Because early on, I was, like, way too reactive. I'd be like, oh, what do you think? Like, talking to an audience member, it's like, no, no, you're in control. Like, you tell them where it's going. You steer it. Like, yes, you can listen to it, but... Um, so that's, it's teaching me that as well, how Mm. to like drive the train instead of like, 
I'm going to be open to you and listen and go wherever you want me to go, you know, and just react to you. Well, there's also like, there's a weird feedback loop thing going on there because people like it when you go, oh, well, what do you think? So you like the fact that they like that you do that and then you avoid the conflict that way. But then you have to swallow it for the rest of the day. You know, totally. That's so true. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like I said, like being a person and being a comic, very similar in that you're never done. You're just never done. You know, you're always trying to fix that thing. Always trying to tweak it, make it a little better. And then that's like one of the big arguments for writing new material, too. The idea is that every time you write a new act, especially when you have to, like release a special or something like that, you're going to be better because you you understand comedy better than you did two years ago. You're just going to be better. If you've really been paying attention and you really are looking at it correctly, you're going to be better. But God, it's so hard because you're right. You want to avoid it. You want to go to that bed. It's right there. It's right there, Raylan. Comfy. (laughs) So cozy. Pets. Cats. Fluffed pillow. Oh, you get your pets in the bed with you? Oh, Oh, yeah. I had to keep them out because of my allergies. But then when they sneak (laughs) in and surround me. What are you allergic to? Everything. You have cats and dogs and you're allergic to them? Yeah, my husband got the cat. That's what put it over the edge. I had Mm. two dogs for the longest time and I ignored it. And then it's the weather and the cat and I just went over this edge where I always had like this really bad cold. And then I finally had to go and I tried all the uh, organic things and then I finally had to go and get the like twice a week. But when they tested it, it was like everything just like paper and pollen and pets. and uh, Paper? You're allergic to paper? Yeah. Wow. Uh, but then I got those shots twice a week. And what the shots do? I kind of miss my allergist. We would have little four-minute chats. Uh, it's like <laughs> you're inoculating. So you start doing a little bit, and then you build up your tolerance. So they can inoculate you for cat dander? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, that's what an allergy shot is. I didn't even know that there were allergy shots. Yeah, and it's like a little cocktail of like all the things cocktail for me of all the things that I'm allergic to and then I just build up my tolerance wow so now if you're around a cat nothing yeah I cuddle him no shit we make out well you make out yeah and it used to be if a cat just like licked you or touched your hand or something like that you would get like little little rub like a little red area yeah Yeah. or like yeah inflamed yeah one of my daughters is allergic to cats we had to figure it out Took a while. She'd like wake up with puffy eyes, and then we got it tested and realized it was a cat. So what'd you do? She takes a pill. No, no. The cat went to uh, my other daughter, my oldest oh, daughter. Oh, okay. So she's got it at her apartment. I used to be allergic to feathers. I remember sleeping over someone's house. It depends on like where my system feathers? is of how it affects me. Sometimes, it, yeah, like laying like on down? a feather pillow. Yeah, down. Yeah. Whoa. I know people that are allergic to like, like styrofoam. I've heard of people that are allergic to like certain types of plastic and shit. Yeah. It's just coming in contact with certain plastics make them break out. Am I, is that, am I making this up? It feels like bullshit. <laughs> I got the EpiPen once Whoa. from getting the shots. That was really exciting. So the, you got the shots, your body went into shock because of all the allergic shots. Yeah. And, and he, then they had a fucking boom right in the thigh. Yeah, and my allergist was like, I, he did it in my arm. But he, he said, I, I didn't even raise it that much. But I went home and I was reading and I'm like, God, I'm itchy. Oh, I must, I must have sweated. Like I worked out and I, need, I didn't 
for like a full 10 minutes. I wasn't conscious. I was just subconsciously going, man, I got to go take a shower or something. And then I lifted up and it was like, like traveling. And then I just was like, um, I'm having an attack. Like I need a Benadryl. And like, no one was listening to me. And I'm like, I, I think I need a Benadryl. And I, I didn't, I was looking for the Benadryl, couldn't find it, called my allergist and he goes, yeah, just come here right now. And then I drove there just like so scared because I could feel it traveling and I'm like, you know, panicking, but also trying to like manage like when you panic and it's a good thing because you have to act fast. And right. then I thought, oh, are my eyes going to close up? Is my throat going to close up? And then went in there full on EpiPen. Ooh. This is awesome. It was felt it really like? good. Was it it felt like? like it honestly felt like I was about to go on stage. Ooh, like a rush. Yeah. Wow. It was kind of great feeling. But it's almost those? like it like feels like tinny and like real trebly, like like you get like for a few seconds. Tinny and trebly. Like That's interesting. Uh, yeah, like not even caffeine, like beyond caffeine, but but yeah, like a pure it felt like a real exciting stand-up show like wow i'm really excited to go on stage right now and that immediately stops the allergic reaction yeah wow that's incredible what do you got that's what it is the epipen is adrenaline oh wow that's crazy i've done that on an episode of 24 where the character dies and that epipen in the heart and they wake back up so epinephrine is adrenaline Wow. It was awesome. I liked it. I would it's do it every day if I could. You should do it every day. It's a hormone, neurotransmitter, and medication. Epinephrine is normally produced by both your adrenal glands and certain neurons. plays an important role in the fight-or-flight response by increasing blood flow to the muscles. Output That's of the, the heart. That's the tinny treble feel. Oh, wow. Pupil dilation. Wow. So, and then that other stuff that you get from like, cold shock proteins, that's norepinephrine. Is that what that is? Yeah, that sounds that's right. What's so what, that? Dr. Rhonda Patrick, was. Uh, she's a, a giant proponent of uh, sauna and also of cryotherapy. And she was talking about the uh, benefits of uh, cold shock proteins. And one of them is uh, your body freaks out when you go into those cryotherapy chambers because it's like 250 degrees below zero. So you get this big, powerful burst of norepinephrine you get cold shock proteins these cytokines because your body's trying to react to the fact that you have this massive cold environment that you're just trapped in it's like so fucking cold your body freaks out and it produces this really radical anti-inflammation process and one of them is this stuff. Okay, that's how I was like, wait, what? No. It's also known as noradrenaline. Oh, it's also known. Oh, oh because adrenaline is epinephrine. Okay, so norepinephrine. That, it makes you feel so good. It's like one of the reasons why I really like going to the uh, cryo chamber, just to get so out. You know how you I get felt. out. Yeah, you get out. You're like, whoa. So you're putting your body under stress, and then it yeah. releases that. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Rhonda Patrick is also a big proponent of that in the sauna, and that's why I installed that sauna here. But did you so call it that. a protein? Yeah, heat shock proteins. Heat shock proteins and cold shock proteins. It's Whoa. like proteins that are produced by your body to deal with the effects of extreme heat or cold. So the, your body reacts to stress. Like, too much heat will kill you, for sure. Too much cold will kill you, for sure. But a little bit is actually very good for you because your body has a response to that, and that response sort of invigorates your entire system. Kind right. of speaks to what we were talking about performing yep. and uh, Feeling better. stressing yourself, going yeah. through that stress in order to um, 
yeah, I listened to a chunk of that Yoel and um, Joey Diaz. Yeah, which by the way was amazing. The way you guys communicated, that was like a it's beautiful cool. thing. Uh, but the yeah the the pyramid of athletics, yeah, and your every day and you're living there. It just made me think about my own life, which you know my parents worked really hard to like make me comfortable. And here's your TV, and you go to school, and you come home from school, and how that's the goal mm-hmm. in like suburban life is to just be comfortable. Be comfortable. We don't realize it, but this is all because people before us weren't. We're just only living in the environment where people are supposed to be comfortable. But, you know, just two generations back, everyone's an immigrant and everyone's really concerned about starving. That's all you have to do. Go back to the 1920s. Right. Everyone's worried about fucking dying. There were, millions of people died. Like, even during World War II, millions of people died by starvation. That, yeah. was, that was a real concern. I remember you saying to him, you're like, yeah, it, it, produced, it produces really good yeah. athletes. It, it might not be like the nicest situation, yeah. but there's no way it, you get really nice situations that produce the world's best combat sports athletes. It just doesn't happen. You have to be strong as fuck mentally, physically. You have to have experienced adversity on a level that most people can never comprehend so that when the shit hits the fan that you could look at the other guy on the other side of the cage, like Yoel Romero does and goes, I'm going to go fuck you up because I've been through everything already. And yeah. even then, the other guy's the same way, so it doesn't even work. Yeah, I don't really you know? relate to that, like it's trying hard. to fuck up the other dude and going through so much adversity. Well, my, 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 well, I, well I'm, my point of view is like, right. I'm going to do my chores, and I'm so comfortable right now. Now I'm going to deliberately make myself uncomfortable yeah. in order to do what I know is good for me and that I enjoy doing and that I want to have success in, and that takes me to another place in my life. But it's, you know, I do it in a very small way you know you do but it's still really honestly the same thing what yoel's doing and what you're doing is the same thing you're doing something very difficult that you it's you struggle to do it it's hard you push yourself but it's recognizing that you want to do it yes and in through doing it you get a little bit better at everything did he talk about i only watched the first chunk of it uh did he talk about his desire to do that or not you know like yeah yeah, he definitely And how did. does that how does that match with kind of being put in that system? I think you asked that early on too. It was like how do they choose how do you yeah. choose is is just one, someone who is what if you have the natural ability but you don't want to do it? Well, then you won't perform and if right. you don't perform you get knocked out of the system. So there is the desire yeah. along well, definitely. with it. There's, there has to be. To be as good as he is, there has to be desire to compete. He wanted to be a boxer initially, he said, but his father was a boxer. I think his brother is a world champion boxer as well. He's just a genetic freak. Like, there's genetics in Cuba, and he was explaining it to me, too. He's, uh, during the podcast, he was like, anybody that thinks that everyone's on steroids, just go to Cuba, where everybody's so poor, and look at the regular people. Just the regular people. Forget about the athletes. He said, I'll take you to Cuba for two weeks, and you'll come back. You're like, I get it. I get it. There's just Really? It was a slave colony. They, they had a hard life. I mean, it's, 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 they're Africans that speak Spanish, and they live on an island that's off the coast of Florida. I mean, it's a crazy spot. The whole thing's crazy, and it was run by a dictator forever. And they had some of the best athletes in the world in boxing, in judo, in wrestling, just world-class athletes that had mental toughness, the likes of... I mean, it's hard for the average person to even comprehend what those people are capable of. And a lot of it is because of that really brutal system that you all talked about on the podcast. Amazing stuff. Yeah. Amazing. You know, just just imagining that this guy went through that, you know, 
It's fascinating because that's not what I want to do. It's not what you want to do. Right. But you just think like that. There's a person out there that can do that. And look what happens on the other end. You get that guy. Like, oh, Jesus. He was just being in the room with him. It's just he's like a fucking superhero. Yeah. It's like, Jesus. That that is the product of genetics, ruthless training, ruthless environment. You know, one of the most complex and sophisticated sports training systems in the world. With boxing and with wrestling and with judo. I mean, they're just phenomenal over there. It was cool. It was really inspiring. He's in, a, in a different way for someone like me, like I don't relate necessarily to what he does is like foreign and amazing. Right. But through my own life, it's like, oh, I can be not comfortable. And yes. like, that's why it seems like a contradiction, but it's not. Like, it's not. that's what we're supposed to be doing. Um, and when you get through that, you have a sense of satisfaction and then your but it comfort feels better. I guess better. it wasn't something that was introduced to me or taught to me, really. I mean, I did sports a little bit. Did you figure it out just through the pursuit? Yeah. I don't, there was nothing that I really committed to that much or knew how to. Or if I did, it was maybe one small aspect. It wasn't really a thing. It was, you know, the messaging was... Try to get by, try to try to get some shitty job. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, um, it's weird because, it, you know, it's not, not like woe is me, but like just knowing that even that you had choices that you could try to be something great. Right. That wasn't really something that was discussed or on the table. Well, wasn't that, isn't that, that's one aspect of alt comedy, like, there are not a lot of people that talk about success or the process of it's more of like playing everything low key. Right. Or like a sarcasm. Yes. Or a. Yeah. It's not like that's the, the definition of being. A, yes. 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 Of being a hipster is that you've got that distance. You're mm-hmm. not really. That's why I love the comedy store as well, because it's like the opposite is the opposite. Yeah. It's like, what's your thing? Yeah. And everyone's super honest and open about like bombings and good sets and bad sets and jokes that just fell right in their face. Like that back bar area is so brutal with the people who just come back there and go, Oh, I just ate a fat plate of shit. <laughs> like people are just so honest about it when they come downstairs, you know, it's a great place. I feel super fortunate. You know, yeah. I missed it so much coming back. I mean, there's a place for that sarcasm and the and the. Sure, Tom Segura does that all the time, but he's also sincere as well. Yeah, there's a there's a thing that's a it's an insecurity. Um, it's like a defense mechanism, and that's what a lot of people do it for. They pretend they're above it all, but no one's above it all, man. You can't don't pretend you're above it all. It's ridiculous. You can do it for fun, but pretending you're actually above it all, you're missing out. Like nobody believes you. First of all, it's like pretending you're psychic or you you know magic. Nobody fucking believes you. All right, so you keep that act going. Keep your fucking fake mustache on and your cape and your top hat. I, I feel that's, like, that's silly. Like, it's doing it occasionally, every now and then. It's fun. We all do it to each other all the time. But if you have a complete lack of ability to communicate sincerely, that's not being right. hip or cool. Right. That's a defense mechanism. And it's a stupid one because you don't have much time. You have 100 years if you're lucky. They'll, they go by like that. If you have a hundred dollars, you spend a dollar a day. Before you know it, you're fucking broke. That's life. My son was like, "When did Michael? How old was Michael Jackson when he died?" I was like, "Ah, 
guy in his 50s? He was like, oh, okay. Like that Like that sounded right to him. Yeah. I'm like, uh, people don't die until much later. Yeah, Basically, that's me. Well, Michael Jackson's the craziest case of all time, right? Because he was giving him, they was in, administering anesthesia every night so he can go to sleep. Dude. Dude. I was playing that. I was playing uh, Wanna Be Starting Something and the um, Thriller in the car on the way taking my son to school. And I start crying just Aww. because it's like, how do you explain what he was and how monumental what he did was like, I can remember seeing him dancing to Billie Jean and like how kind of like broke the mold for music and mm-hmm. the persona that he had and that level of creativity. Um, yeah, it was weird. Was new, and and to be in the thing. car with this, with my kid who doesn't really knows the name, but didn't, you know, right. It's just, that's not part of his that's not part of his life. Maybe you should introduce him to that movie, that documentary. What was that one documentary they did? This is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, Does that get into the drugs and, and stuff? And how many years was he doing that for? So, so sad. Not very long. But here's one of the more fucked up things. This is something I speculated a long time ago. His doctor who went to jail for giving him the anesthesia also testified that Michael Jackson was chemically castrated by his parents when he was young to preserve his voice. That's what I suspected. I suspected I talked about on the podcast like years ago I was saying this. I think he was a castrata, which is they take young boys and they used to do this with opera and they would castrate them at a very young age. And because of that, their body never developed testosterone. So they would develop this high piercing like haunting voice it's very strange like we played some of the there's only a few recordings of actual castratas that are available or castrados one of those um but the when you play them they're haunting because you realize like this is a kid that was castrated as a baby so that he could be a singer like this is fucked up and that's what Michael Jackson's doctor said they did to Michael. They did it through chemicals. They chemically castrated him the same so way they do the pedophiles. So his argument is, I'm just trying to regulate a situation that was already far gone. Is that his uh, defense? No. I mean, there's no defense. The doctor's just fucking, you know, he's just, he, he killed him. I mean, killed Michael Jackson. Let him get anesthesia until he died. His defense wasn't that. He was just saying, there's something else. Right. Like, Michael Jackson was fucked up. Like, his parents literally chemically castrated him to preserve his voice because he was the lead singer of the Jackson 5 when he was a baby. And that was part of what was great about him was like, oh, baby, give me one more chance. Like that voice. nice falsetto there. Thank you. (laughs) That voice was nothing like anything that he would be capable of doing as an adult if he grew into a man. He would have this big old man, I want to get some pussy voice. And people were like, no, I'm sorry. where's little Michael? <laughs> he would have like a, you know, like um, a Barry White voice or something. Like, fuck, you can't have that. Like, you're Michael. You know, you're ABC. It's the easiest one. Well, he may not have gotten that deep with his voice, but I guess if you if that's to be believed that he'd never had the chance. I believe it. You know why I believe it? Because his voice didn't sound anything like a regular man's. And it didn't sound anything like his brother's. His brothers all look like regular grown-ass men. Michael Jackson's deep voice. That's not deep. Something's that's, got cold. That sounds well, like John like Rivers. It's still like I was looking it up. All those places I'm seeing that story about him being castrated are mm-hmm. like tabloidy. It's the sure. sun and that kind of stuff. 
Right, but it was wasn't in an interview in like uh, the which it was a UK paper. Yeah, no, I, I just Google. It was the Sun, which is like not the best. Mm. Uh, it's not source. the worst, right? The Daily Mail is yeah, the worst. Both of them actually are they the it. same? They yeah. equal? Yeah, I would think so. See, I'm hoping that's so true. And the last time you talked about this, I got some messages. I don't know. If, again, I was getting videos like this of showing like examples of his deep talking voice. In See, that's situations. not deep. There's a lot of chicks that have way deeper voices. Yeah, true that, yeah. Listen, that's his deep voice. Come on, Man. let me tell you, motherfucker. You listen to the wrong people. Yeah. Well. I mean, think of how many women have ruthlessly deep voices. Yeah. Right. I could tell you a couple right now. Yeah. I think, I think they did it to him. His voice was just phenomenal. Like human yeah. nature. Like as an adult, that is such a fucking phenomenal song. It doesn't sound like anything that a regular man is capable of singing. Like the notes that he hits, like that voice that he had was just haunting. Right. I'm trying to think of. Who else is a natural uh, who, uh, star who has a high voice? Well, Prince used voice. to sing in falsetto, but it was very obvious when he was doing it that he was doing it. Yes. Whereas Michael Jackson, like that Human Nature song is one of my favorites because it's such a, like a, a slow, smooth holding of those sounds. These are natural sounds that are coming from him. You know, it's like this natural, like uh, warm, affectionate tone to it. It just doesn't seem like a man's voice. It doesn't seem like a woman's voice either. That's my point. You got the right way of talking. That's different. That's like falsetto. Dancing. Dan right? You're saying that's like a force, that sounds like, like a, a caricature. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Dancing that way. What is this? You feel like dancing. Puberphonia, yeah. known as mutational falsetto Hang on, I have a call or on my functional Hello? <laughs> <laughs> it's a type of voice disorder characterized by habitual use of high-pitched voice after puberty oh so that some people get that yeah it's like a psych psychogenic in nature so. and the other thing is you look at his body he had no muscle like his body was like i mean he was a very active guy dancing all the time but yeah. he wasn't built like a dancer he was built like a stick you know, he was a very, very thin guy. That's what you would expect from someone who didn't have any testosterone. He wouldn't be able to develop really? any muscle. I'm sticking with my theory. <laughs> I might have biases, but... They're mine. They're mine. I'm sticking with it. Dig them up. Make me feel like... Dig them up and check the nuts. Dig them up. So, Marilyn. Yes. Is there anything you'd like to talk about? Anything that's mm -hmm. important to you in this day and age? Jeez. You can't just turn it over to me. I'm just trying to figure out where you stand on things. Um, what, what, uh, what, <laughs> what, what, um, told you I cried to Michael Jackson. Yeah. Good reason. Uh, I think I'm a hypocrite. In what way? The gun control, uh, march that is happening. Mm-hmm. I uh, part of me was like, I, I had a, a friend, a mom who said the, the march is going on right outside our house. Like who wants to join? And as soon as I clicked on the email and saw what it was in the pit of my stomach, I was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. And then I covered it up with, I should do that. This would be a really good thing to do. And I, was then fighting with myself because I was like, well, you can't have both things at once. Either you want to march and do that 
or you don't. Like those are conflicting things. What was and the then no? I, um, I don't want to do it. I don't think it'll help. But then there's another part of me that really likes when people march because I do think it changes uh, the attitude. Like I'm really happy that the women's march happened and is happening. But I didn't go. And I feel like it's like a dirty secret. (laughs) And I've started, I have a bit about it that's sort of an unformed bit where I say, yeah, I live in Encino because that's where you go to give up. Like next <laughs> next time you see me, I'm going to be like, I live in Thousand Oaks. I'm allergic to the sun. And, like, <laughs> and I described like the moment I knew I had given up was, and this is just an exploratory, I still don't have it figured out. The moment I knew I had given up was I was making my stay away from my vagina poster with glitter. And then <laughs> I marched out to the curb and was like, oh, it's too hot. Like, I don't think they'll be parking at the march. <laughs> and went back inside. Did you really? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's the joke version, but I was very conflicted and like, oh, I should go. And both times I was doing stuff with my kid and it was, you know, a very small mundane day. And I was like, I'm not doing it. And then I saw the women that did it and they talked about being in this crowd and how uplifting it was. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, I'm really happy this is happening but yet, why is it because I don't care and I'm weak? Or is it because I, there's a part of me that believes it's, I, I don't want to do it and that it's an actual belief? And then I was like, you're a hypocrite. And then I was like, I'm tired. Can't think about it anymore. But yeah, the, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think is what I'm saying. All those I'm a people, hypocrite. Is what I'm saying. I don't know if you're a hypocrite. You just have you decide. Let me knock over. You just decide what you want to do and what you don't want to do. You know, and you didn't want to go march that day. It doesn't mean you're a hypocrite. It means you just didn't want to do it. You're a hypocrite if you were saying one thing and voting for another. That would make you a hypocrite. That just makes you a person. That's true. That, just just decided that's not what you wanted to do. And also, look, it is. it would be nice if you threw your one into the 600,000 that were marching through the streets of downtown L.A., but there's still 600,000 people, even if you're just watching it from the news and go, you go, girl. It's not, yes. You're not helping. You're not helping, but you, I don't think you're a hypocrite. It doesn't make you a hypocrite. Does it help? Do you think those big marches? Well, that's what I'm wondering. I think it empowers people. It gets people very excited about the cause. There's a lot of other people that think like-minded. Gets people to watch. Gets people to put it on the news. People at home watch it. Maybe people feel like, hey, even though some fucked up things have gone down with Harvey Weinstein and all this other shit, at least it's turning around. Maybe people are bummed out that this guy became the president, but now people are active. Maybe people are paying attention more. Maybe people are more engaged. Absolutely. So ultimately... It's almost like what we were talking about before. You get past that adversity and there's actually a benefit to it. And sometimes I think even as a country, we might need that because we don't have any war over here. Everything is over there. We don't see it in terms of like right in front of us on a daily basis. But this is like a cultural war and an idea war. And so I think that these things happening 
right in front of us and having these uncomfortable moments forces these conversations. There's just going to be peaks and valleys in the conversation where people are rude and people are calm and maybe there's going to be some breakthroughs. But ultimately, at least so you're people pro are for it. I'm pro marches. everything. I'm, well, I'm pro progress. And I think that all of this comes from people being dissatisfied with how things are currently. So the best way to, to I mean, it's very, it's very, very inspiring to me that you know that those kids came out and are talking, and that's like, I love that. But you it's mean about, also about guns. Yes, yeah. but it's also sad that so, so so little is happening. Yeah, there's this. It is sad. But there's two things that have to be addressed. Guns have to be addressed for sure, but also. Mental health has to be addressed. We have to address psych medicines. We have to address how many of these people, whether it's correlation equals causation or not, how many of these fucking people have been on psych medicine? And the answer is almost all of them. Now, does that mean that they're, they're mentally ill and so that's why they shoot people or that doing these psych meds, a lot of people call these, the effects of these things very disassociative, that they allow people to do horrific things they might not have been able to do before or inspire them to do that? There's a real argument there. It's not exonerating the people that have done these horrific things or exonerating the people that got the guns in their hands. It's not doing that, but it is a factor. There's a factor that people aren't taking into consideration because it becomes, it becomes a one or the other thing. It becomes an either we need more gun control and we need um, stricter gun control or we need to do something about the effects of psych medication. It's not both. And I think it's both. I, I really do. I was just going to say, well, yeah, based but, on how you just presented it, it definitely seems like both. And yeah. It, there was it, an article that was, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but there was an article that was written, I gotta remember this, that was written recently that was really ridiculous. And it was saying, contrary to popular belief, most of these mass shooters are not mentally ill. Well, what the fuck defines mentally ill if they're on psych <laughs> medication? They're all on antipsychotics and psychiatric meds and SSRIs. They're almost all. So if they're not, they're not mentally ill, why I, the I thought fuck you were going to say like how are, you, how are you shooting people and you, well, that, that, that in itself that was the is next mentally step. ill? Yeah. If you can just go into a school and shoot nineteen children, you have to be mentally ill. But the point is, if they're not mentally ill, why are they taking medicine for people who are mentally ill? This is a bullshit article, and it's an article. Who knows what the fucking whether it's a contrarian point of view that's designed to get clickbait hits. Or whether it's someone who is trying to set up a narrative that's contrary to what the pharmaceutical drugs companies have known for years. There's real effects to those things. Like, and, and they're not always positive. And it's a goddamn crapshoot whether or not a pill's going to work for you or not work for you. I mean, they, that's why they have Abilify. Abilify is an antipsychotic they prescribe to people who are on, they're on SSRIs, but they think about killing themselves. They're like, look, if you're thinking about killing yourself, try this first. Try to stack these two together. Maybe that's right. your mixture. And right, I th wasn't it the most number one most prescribed drug in the country? See if that's true still. A bill of an antipsychotic was the number one most prescribed drug in the country. Look, we've got a fucking problem. Now, how many of these people are taking medication because they really need it? I'm sure some of them. How many people are taking medication because drug companies are pushing this shit? Abilify is top-selling U.S. drug. There you go. That's fucking crazy. The top-selling U.S. drug. See this. Don't blame mental illness. Blame men. <laughs> well, that's true, too. No, she's right there, too. Like, I have a, a bit that I'm doing about all the different fucked up things that men do. Like, it's an anti-men's rights bit. And it's like that – I don't want to do it on the air because I'll fuck it up for, before my special. <laughs> but it's that we have to pay attention to, like, all the shit that we do wrong. 
Like men, like when we look, like mass mass shootings is not just one. If you want to take credit for the good things that men have done, you have to take credit for all the war. Like that's also what they've done. Men have caused all of it. You know, and in the bit, I go into detail about all these different things. It's, it's a buildup to something else. But this, this also has to be addressed, that it's always men. That's real, too. It's not, not blaming right. every man that didn't shoot up a school. But we have to figure out what the fuck is it? What is it? What combination of psych drugs, guns, and being a man is causing this? And, and if we just want to blame only the tools, that seems to me to be fucking crazy. They also want to blame the NRA. Well... I see in one point because you think the NRA is helping people get drug or get guns rather more easily. I get that. But also no one who is a member of the NRA has ever committed a mass shooting. So you have to think of that. Well, well, what does that mean? I mean, are you really blaming the group of people that wants gun safety to be paramount and the group of people that doesn't want their rights to be infringed? Or are you going to attack the group of people that are actually shooting these people? That's the real problem is the people that have actually done it. And I guarantee you, there's something wrong with every I'm single for that fucking bed one of their right brains. about now. So, Sorry. No, 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 no. It, because everything you're saying, I'm just thinking that the pe- person that shoots a bunch of people, whether they're on psych drugs, whether they have access to a gun, mental health issues, they're they're isolated to the point where they can do something like that. Yeah. And that quiet little statement that someone is isolated is something that we can't address because it's so complicated and it's such the fabric of how we live our lives. It's so much easier to like blame and fight for all these things. But how do we fix, you know, the one guy who's the, his brother was just found with all that porn. It's like, yeah, the guy that shot all the people in Vegas. Yeah. How do we address just how fucked up people are in general or well, the horrible family. story about and I'm jumping topics, but the horrible story about that. Ugh, can't even talk about it. The couple that had all those kids that they. Oh, yeah. They kept locked and like, up in their basement. Nobody <sighs> knew. Nobody said anything. People. Yeah, I thought they seemed weird. Like, how do we address our disconnection from each other that we that it we're so fucked up there's there definitely going to be people that feel alienated and they always want to they see these people having a good time around them and they want to just flip over the game they want to say fuck you and burn the whole thing to the ground there's always going to be people like that there's a lot of that that you what get do you mean from, they see people having a good time around they them. see people that are happy that that are enjoying oh. life like especially if this kid felt alienated in school and bullied and cast right. out and targeted and then he gets free and he sees these people that are having fun. He just wants to go back and just punish everyone. This is a very common theme. You know, people How feel do we real change pain. that theme? Real, How do we help people who are in pain? Well, you're going to have to do a lot of things, right? Because like think of the people that uh, had their children locked up. Who are these monsters and how they have a kid? How is it so hard to get a car license? It's and it's easy as fuck to have a kid and raise another member of our our culture, of our society, or our community. How is that possible? You've you've introduced a poison toxic member to our community because you did a terrible job of raising them. And one of the oldest ones, I went to college, and then they would, I can't remember. I think it was a dude would come out, and the mom would be waiting for him, and like, so the oldest one was out in the world and still no one could help like whatever mind melds 
they so the had oldest on, one was out, and he didn't say that his younger brothers and sisters were locked up? I guess. Oh, God. He should be in jail. Yeah, I don't know the whole, the details of that. I mean, it's not, I guess it's not his fault. He's probably, like, beyond fucked in the head. Yeah. But just the fact that he could keep that a secret, it's like, what? It's horrific. But, and, you, and you just think about, I mean, how many people are fucked by the time they have children, like it's not even that they're doing a bad job of it. They're incapable of doing a good job of it. They're too fucked up. They're right. too fucked up from their own upbringing, but they still get horny. I mean, that's just, that's just what happens in this world. People like to have sex. They have sex. Boom. There's a person. Got to raise it, but I'm fucked up and I love meth. What do you do? Fucking men. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. It's fucking men. It's everybody. Yeah. It's, it's definitely men though. And that's, that's, my issue with all this uh, masculine bullshit is a lot of these guys that are proclaiming masculinity are really bitches and the, the, that real men wouldn't be doing this stuff in the first place. Right. You, would, you would look past most of this stuff in the first place. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that don't have personal sovereignty, whether it's men or women. And they're not, they're not raised correctly, and then they didn't go on a, a beneficial path through life that left them in the current state where they're, they're a, an, a helpful member of our community. See, this right? is a show about family values. Yeah. That's what you're really about. It is about See? community values, like friendship. Yeah. You know, like what we were talking about the comedy store. Friendship's giant. It's very important. And some people don't have any fucking friends. And that's a dark place to be. Bullied your whole life. Don't have any friends. You're on medication. You're all fucked up. And you're one of those guys out there that just wants to go out with a bang. You know, just want to walk into a mall with a fucking shotgun and go out with a bang. There's a lot of people that think like that. They just don't have the courage to do it. I mean, even going back to that one night that we, when I said, I don't know if I can do it. I mean, it's yeah. a smaller example, but, but still valid, you know? And you just looked at me and said you can, you're good, like you're doing it, or, you know, whatever your response was, those little moments of like... Those are big. A, a real connection. Yeah. When you know someone really does care about you, and someone really does like you. And we're not, you know, yeah. talking every day. It was just a, a, yeah. a moment of kindness and commonality and seeing that other person. We fixed it, everybody. We, we fixed, fixed it. it. We fixed we it. We did it. Well, I never had... I, I never knew that you didn't think well of me or, or of, of me. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, you, I never I felt like you didn't like me I think I was just intimidated by you. And then I didn't... I, well, I didn't know you, but I just... Like, your vibe to me was like, uh-oh. Like, he doesn't like me very much. <laughs> <laughs> That's not... But that wasn't because I'm of anything I... I'm talking years uh, ago, though. This probably would have been 2000... Whatever, Whatever, right? When right, but it was never anything where like I didn't like you. I'm sure I, I probably know. was not even really on your radar, or or not even a thing of not liking or liking that I. No, we just, never really had any interactions. No, I just felt your power and took it per <laughs> personally. I felt your power. <sighs> That's pretty silly. Well, we got through that too. Yeah, we did. So if you do a special. Yeah. When do you think you'd be gearing up for that? Have you thought through it? Like you'd be ready in a year, be ready in a month? Oh my gosh. Too much? No. Where's the bed? Where's that bed? Where's that bed? Oh, um, nap, nap. I have to figure out, because so many comics I know do it themselves. Yeah. 
I think I could have the material I want fairly like within the next six months, but then I need to figure out the how, the how, the how there's a few companies I think that I do need that to, now. You need to, ma- I need to make it first, mm. right? That's how you do it. Yeah. Just definitely. make it. Yeah. That's not a bad move. The just making it first is not a bad move because when you just make it first, then you can just sort of sell it somewhere. And if it's good, everybody's always looking for new comedy. You know, there's, there, we were just talking earlier about I guess Amazon. I'm scared a little Don't bit. Be scared. Because I, I had teed up for it when I first went on the road and had, had an hour. And then um, my manager at the time, I think, tried to sell it on a high level. This was before Netflix is what it is now. It was mm. a few years back. When they were first started doing hours, I think. Um, and they were like, no. And then she, you know, all all the top tier people were like, no. Like, no one knows her as a comic. Like, we're not buying it. And then she was like, let me sell it at the second tier. And they were like, no. And then this whole time I was like, should have just done it myself. But I think I've been lucky enough to have get a lot of acting jobs. So whenever I'm like being myself starter and then a carrot comes along, I'm like, I'll do that acting job. That'll work. So, So I've never had to sort of grind it out in that way and that's why it scares me so then that, that when it didn't sell at that time i just went oh i should have done that myself and now i'm tired of this material and then you know time passes i'm like maybe it's for the best because mm. you know once i do that then i'm really out there as that it might be a commitment issue on my part i know that feeling i know what you mean it's just hard it's hard to just fucking dig your heels in and decide to do something that's tough like that. And then also the financial investment. If you decide to do it yourself, yes. like you got to spend a lot of money and hire a crew and make sure the director doesn't fuck it up and make sure it all comes out well. You know, who do I know that did one and they fucked up the shooting of it and he had to wind up putting it online? Was it Rory Albanese? Did he said that he did one that someone fucked up and he wound up putting it online? Rory hasn't released his yet. Or he was thinking about doing it soon. Some of it was him. Somebody else then. Kurt Metzger? Mm. Whatever. Yeah. Someone funny. Did you do yours or yourself? I did one of them myself. Yeah. I know I've done t- two of them. Two of them myself. Yeah. Um, but the best was last year doing it with Netflix. That was the best. Because they're just so easy. They're just like, go ahead. They just let you do it. Yeah. Whatever you want. They're like, we like it. Yay. That's awesome. <laughs> there was like zero feedback, you know? They just wanted to make sure it was an hour long, not too long, not too short. I kind of want to do a 15-minute special because I have this thing that I've done for years, and I don't do it every very often, but it's, uh, it's so dumb. It's like, hey, guys, take a, hey guys, take a break. Hey, ladies, fucking guys, am I right? Ladies, take a break. What's up with these bitches? But for like, <laughs> but for 15 minutes, like, what's up with bitches and their scented candles? They're always like, smell this, try these sheets. Uh, guys, take a break. Ladies, guys, <laughs> give us a ring if you want to. But like, <laughs> just have the whole thing be that. <laughs> that's funny. I like it. 15 minutes, that's is something they're doing now. That, right? That's what yeah. I heard. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I would love to do an hour for sure, but that's uh, more of a commitment to things and ideas. You wanted to have some uh, girth to yeah. it. Yeah. Well, you could definitely do it. But we were also talking about how Amazon's doing specials now, too. They did oh. Bob Saget's special, and they air. They bought a bunch of other people's specials. Like they bought Brian Cowan's special. They bought all those specials oh, from awesome. CISO. All those specials are now on Amazon. Yeah. A lot of places for you, Maryland. 
Mm. Just do it is what Just you're do saying? It for sure. Yeah, the only terrifying thing is once you do it, then you have to write new material. That's where it gets scary. Because then you're, then you're left without weapons. You start from scratch. And you've got to grind and dig and claw your way back up to the top of the hill. <sighs> you never done that before, huh? A special? Well, special when you have to abandon all the material no, and start from scratch. No, as you were saying that, I was thinking, because I've done one-woman shows, I've done, but I'm still pulling from, like, that show, because, you know, if it's stuff that I still like, I'll, I'll pull it up. I have stuff about, you know, my son being an infant, and right. he's nine years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk about my C-section. If it's late at the comedy store, I'm like, let's get into it. Because I know they don't want to hear it. I'm like, let me, let's talk about it. It's 1 a.m. Let's talk about the C-section. Those 1 a.m. sets, those are strength training. That's like running with weights on, like a weight vest, weights on your back, and like uh, ankle weights too. I've learned to really love them. It took me so long to just even leave the house. I would would be standing there at the comedy (sighs) store like... (laughs) <laughs> I had to train myself to be like, no, this is part of it. You right. have to be awake. You have to want to be here. Yeah. It was a weird psychological, because I'm, part of me is like, I just want to do my set. But then I'm like, resenting that I'm out of the house. Like, I'm some sort of princess or something. How weird. dare. It's like, no, no, you made this choice. You want, but connecting the want with what it is. Right. I don't know. I mean, I've talked to other people who are like, like well don't do midnight shows you know but but clearly i wanted it and i wanted it at the comedy store and once i got used to it i was like this is the best like i love doing those late spots not that i wouldn't mind an 8 p.m shot or uh, shot you want 845 shot in my slot every once in a while yeah (laughs) (laughs) nitro yeah it makes you talk those I'm only. I didn't even get nitros. halfway through. I'm taking mm. it easy. Well, then you're about 135 milligrams of caffeine in. It's good. It's not bad, right? It's really good. It's like espresso. Do you drink that kind of stuff? Yes. Black coffee. Yeah, I'll go. Ooh, I go both ways. Strong. I like a latte. Strong woman. I like a latte too. Do you like a latte with like vanilla sweetener and shit? In no, it? no, no. Sugar. No. 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 Like a straight up non-fat. Yeah. I'll do it all. I'll drink a vanilla latte. I won't turn my nose at it. Why I'll not? do a shot of espresso. It's yeah, it's all yummy. Yeah. You're um you're kind of on a path of uh, self improvement through comedy. Do you realize that? I like that. It seems like it, right? Yeah. Like if you seem like uh, more empowered by this. I I definitely am. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. It's. It's helping me. <laughs> He's saying so reluctantly, so disappointed. Such a strange thing. Well, it's what it is. Is you're fighting your alt roots. That's what it is. You're fighting the smugness and the sarcasm. You're fighting it. Fighting sincerity. Like ugh, sincerity. Oh, self improvement. Oh gosh. Is that what I'm doing? Sure. I'm like, oh, if I could just get on a pilot, then I wouldn't have to <laughs> then you can work just, anymore. No commitment. You just zone out. You're not even there. You know, and you, like you do your best, but it's not even your writing. Whatever. So much easier. So much easier if you're oh, on a good girl, sitcom. you're dropping some logic. Mm. When I was on news radio, when it was I smooth. I tried to get on a pilot so bad. Yeah, go on. When it was smooth, so easy. You just show up. Script's good. Got a couple good lines. Remember them. Deliver them. Sit in the makeup chair, 
Put What's the wrong with on. that? Boom. Nothing. Nothing Checks wrong coming in. Doesn't Someone's bringing good. you a drink. Doesn't feel as good. It's not as good. Problem is you've already killed Mary Lynn. You've already crossed over into the dark lands. Oh, God. When you kill, like, Saturday night on the road and you're fucking crushing, right? When you put it all together and you remember those dark days and you first started doing it again and now you're killing. Yeah. How good does that feel? It feels great. It's amazing. But then I will, it, I'll chip away. Like, how long will I let that feel great? You know? <laughs> Maybe till the next morning and then, I, then it starts all over again. Then you, you got to do it again. Yeah, you have to. That's, how, that's the thing. There's never a point where you're like, ah, oh, I made it. Let me sit down. There's yeah. no, that doesn't, that place doesn't exist. Well. <laughs> <laughs> you always have the bed. Don't worry. You can always take those it's naps. It's always there. You can always enjoy those naps. Ah, that pillow's always there. You got it now with all your shots. The cat can crawl in bed with you. No problem. I mean, I still have a lot of fear with, even last night. We, how was your, uh. Your stand-up on the spot. It was great. I loved it so much. I spent the entire day going, why did I do this? I'm not clever enough. Like, I can't think of jokes. I'm like, just say the opposite. Just get angry. Go on a rant. Like, I'm coming up with all devices because I'm like, you won't you won't write a joke on the spot. You don't know how to write. Your brain doesn't work like that. Like, a crazy person. A nightmare. A living nightmare. I spent the day going, oh, Really? Oh, you're going to just come up with jokes on the spot? Like, good luck with that. The voice in my head, once I got there, it was delightful. I was yeah. like, oh, this is my real life. This isn't the life in my head. Yeah. It was a delight. Yeah. I had to call my friend afterwards and go, I think I just experienced pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say this, but that was pleasurable. Well, that room in particular, that, that set, for people who don't know, Stand Up on the Spot is Jeremiah Watkins' show. He used to have a show called Thunder Pussy. Oh, yeah, I guess they used I didn't to call explain it. it. Oh, really? Yeah, that was the same show, but they called it Thunder Pussy for some reason. Now, um, what you do is you go on stage and uh, people just have suggestions. Like I, met, I make people put their hands up. I point to someone and, and then they give you a suggestion and right away you just start talking about it. And I have some real potential leads for bits from last night, like two solid ones where I, what I do is I don't want to, but I do when I get home, I'm fucking tired. I've had a long day, but I still sit in front of the computer and I play the recordings and I go back. Oh, over that's the bed. good. Have to. That's good. Have to. It's part of the job. Have to Damn. clean your room. It's like those things like got to brush your teeth. I don't want to go to sleep. Brush your fucking teeth. Got to do it. And so do you know how many, I'm sure this is fairly normal. How many sets I have in my phone that I've never listened to. Yeah, that's fairly normal. Yeah. Um, I, I listen to them all. You have to. Damn, that's the only good. time I don't listen to them all is when I'm on the road and I'm doing four sets. And then sets. do you erase it after? No, I don't have anything. You save it. it. Yeah, I'll show you. I got all these bitches in here. Look. And you've listened to all of them and they stay yeah, there. Look at them all. How do you know which one to go back to for stuff? I look for you the don't date. really. Yeah, I mark them. I edit the name. See at the bottom. Oh, all that's the names. good. Yeah. But then you don't know, how do you remember which bit in this one? You just kind of I just loosely... record it and I go over it with a notebook. But the thing with me oh, okay. is, the, the, the big thing is, um, I know when something happened. Like if I do a set, I'm like, okay, I went on a totally different chain of thought. Yes. And this, if this branch of the, the bit might be a new bit, I have to listen to that bit again. Yes. And so I'll, I'll clearly go over there and 
make sure. So common sense, but it's so hard to do. You're giving me like, yeah, you're giving me the training right now of the stuff that's like, obviously you remember when you went off on that thing, go back and listen to it and write it down. Think about the things that you've said today that have helped you, right? Like how you've had to speak clearly, do all these things. And what did that come from? Well, that come from, that comes from trial and error and focus. Like you're focusing on your act because of that. That next level of focusing on your act is being like super diligent about recordings and writing. And that's what a lot of comics don't do. There's a lot of comics that think they're grinding and they'll say that I'm out there, I'm doing a lot of sets. They're not writing any new material though. You can't, you have to write, you have to actually write. That's what I believe. Maybe, maybe you can just write all no, on stage. No, it makes sense because you can trick yourself into thinking that you're grinding it out. And maybe you are doing a lot of sets. And maybe you're even though something. you're doing the same set, you're doing it differently. So mm-hmm. you can – and that's, it's, that's fine. Yeah. That's its own thing. But you're not going to come right. up with new stuff from that. You're doing something. But are you doing like everything you could be doing? It's like, it's like anything else. The more time and enthusiasm you put on something – the better you're going to get at it. If you're a guy, like say if you're a bowler and you only like to bowl 40 minutes a day but you want to be the best in the world, you're not going to be. I don't care what you want. But the time and enthusiasm is that tricky part. That goes back to like... Discipline. Well, also, I was trying to make a bigger jump, which is how do you connect to being enthusiastic if you don't... Well, think about how you were bummed out about your set. Right. And you got to the store and you had to trick your brain into being more present and more pumped up for your set. Right. And then when you did, it was a joy. I guess I'm trying to connect it to what we were talking about earlier about people who get isolated and don't have friends and don't have a feedback and don't have those like tendrils of like being able to make that leap so that it. You know, you start like eating yourself alive mm. and Well, I think with everything it's like little you steps. Never climb out of the barrel, right? Yeah. If you're three hundred pounds, do not run a marathon. Right? Right. Walk around the block. And if you're a person who's been living your life with a bunch of fucking negative thinking in your head, take steps in the right direction, you know? Take a do step, but then you have to yeah. acknowledge that step. Like, yeah, oh, something nice step. happened yeah. to me today. I need to remember that. Yeah. I need to remember it and I need to build on that. You know, and you can do that. Anybody can do that. You can just do it incrementally. I had a great podcast with this guy, David Goggins. Did you, um, you ever heard of him? So um, he's a Navy SEAL who's also a famous yes, endurance from athlete. Podcast, but I, yes, yes, I heard a bit of that. And he was talking about how, you know, he was a fat loser who kept making excuses for himself and just like drinking chocolate milkshakes every day and working for an exterminator. And he was fat as fuck. And he just decided... I don't want to do this anymore. And he had these moments where he went, he went running, he ran three quarters of a mile, then he turned around and walked back home. That was his first time running. Like, it wasn't quick that he became this guy who runs 100 miles at a time. And he was doing, how many fucking 100 milers did he do in a year? Wasn't it crazy? You're doing them every week or every two yeah. weeks or something like that. A week or every two attitude. weeks. It was so, insane because yeah. he played it for. He showed us the, the website and he was like, these are all the ones he did in a year. And it's like, what the fuck? Like every week or two weeks, he was running 100 miles, like in the mountains and shit. 100. That's a 24-hour race. Yeah. And he was doing right. it every week. That's fucking insane. But this guy started out running three quarters of a mile and then he quit and turned around and walked back home because he was fat and he was eating milkshakes every day. Like that's the same guy. He, be, he, with these little incremental steps and then just deciding, this is who I am now. I'm a guy who does what I say I'm supposed to do, and I'm fucking serious. I'm, I'm, I'm going to change my life. 
now he's shredded. Just a guy's a fucking animal. I mean, he's just a pure uh, a machine made out of like motivation and discipline. Like you don't get more discipline than that yeah. guy now. But he wasn't at one point in time in his life. And by him expressing that on the podcast, this really ins- inspirational podcast, I think it gives everybody hope because you like to think that, oh, that guy who is really good at this thing or that guy who's really mentally tough or this girl who's super disciplined who just get- accomplishes thing after thing, she's always been like that. No, 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 no. She's, nobody's always been like that. No one has. You, you start off fucking up. You fail. You move up. You figure it out. You make some mistakes. You fall back. You get back up. You go, well, that's not me. I'm me now. I realized don't do that anymore. Now, instead, don't quit after three quarters of a mile. Now we're going to drink water instead of drinking chocolate shakes. We're going to eat healthy food. And tomorrow we're going to do a whole fucking mile. Let's do it. And then you do that mile like, holy shit, I did it. Mark it down. Write it down. Did a mile. And then maybe take a day off. And then maybe the next day try to do it again. And then build with everything, with comedy, with fucking, I'm sure that's the case with music, with with, with everything. Right. It's, and to we, recognize that that's your choice. Yes. Like if I think of myself, there are some mornings where I'm like, I'm going to sit and have a latte. And you know, in other mornings where I'm going to work out, those are all my choices. Like yeah. maybe that one day you're going to be that person that just kind of sits there and stares out the window. Um, you know, that would not be work towards my hundred miles that I'm trying to run. That right, would but not it be, might be a day where you daydream and come up with an amazing idea. And I kind of loved that I spent the day leading up to that stand-up on the spot. Actually, I thought we had, our podcast was yesterday. I had to go back into my text. And I kind of, like, you know how you do when you, like, have something to do at 1? So, like, at 11, you're like, like, well, I can't completely go do something else. So I kind of just agonized and then it was like 12 and I looked and I was like oh it's not even today so now I'm like kind of like you know didn't do stuff I could have done for a couple hours and now you know I thought we were podcasting so now I have all that time so I'm just like well, I have that stand up on the spot show tonight. So I really I love, was just. I love when you do you. You do you. Your lips <laughs> purse. And you're looking down. You go. You like, could I have of- worked out? Yeah, but no, I'm just this lady. Here she is. Who's a pretty girl? Who's a pretty girl? Uh, yeah, so I weirdly. But it was kind of a productive day because then when I got to the end and was so appreciative. It made me so aware of the nightmare of my own head that I was the I was co- very conscious of what I what I was doing. Yeah. Not that got me to that then when it was so easy. It 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 really was like waking up from a bad dream when you're like, "Oh, this is life. It's yeah. not that." Being engaged and being present and going to do this thing. It was nothing like what I was beating myself up like why are you doing what is that? that? What yeah. is that? What is that? Why and do also, you do you've that? done so many shows, but I wasn't even acknowledging that history. I was just stewing in almost because I had the time and right. I just let that run rampant in my head. That voice of like, oh, really? You think you, you think you can construct a joke? Good luck. You know, like, uh, what? <laughs> why? Right. Why? why did I just feed that monster? Yeah. It's just a common strategy that people do to avoid accomplishing things. Right. And you do it subconsciously to give yourself a little bit of a break because the pressure of like being disciplined and doing things, it's hard. It weighs on you. you know, right. We're, we're, so then that becomes an ex- excuse yeah. to not. 
we were talking before the podcast about yoga, and I was saying how um, when I did that 15 days in a month thing, I decided to end it with nine days in a row. So I just did nine days. I ended like a week early. I finished like a week early or like five days early, but I did nine fucking days of yoga in a row to end it. And I was like, this is crazy. I never would have thought not only that I could do it. I mean, I, th- I know I could physically do it. It's not impossible, but I didn't think that would ever like follow through and do that. It just seems too extreme. And that was the Bikram, the yeah, hour and the a half? Ha- yeah. Which people are like, well, I do it every day. I've did 60 days in a row. Yeah, but I do like eight other things. Right. It's not easy to carve out an hour and a half of fucking sweating right. your dick off in you this mean you're doing your other box. workout oh yeah i'm still oh, i'm still lifting weights adding that in yeah i'm still doing that too i'm not just doing yoga and i'm also doing writing and the podcast and Damn. whatever ufc shit i have to do like i made myself do it too but in doing so i realized like oh you just gotta just do it like you just gotta say you're gonna do it and just do it like i did a thing a while back in like 2009, but when I was writing, um, I was uh, getting ready to do uh, my Comedy Central special at the time, or it was on Spike TV, then on Comedy Central. I um, I wrote every day for a month in my in my blog. I just decided I'm gonna, and I committed to it online. I said I'm gonna write every day for a month. And in doing that, I'm like, oh, I could do that. Like you just gotta do. Let's let's. It has to be just a thing you do. Like oh, I brush my teeth. Oh, I comb my hair. Oh, I write. Oh, I get up and I run in a while. I, I get up and I lift weights for an hour. Whatever the fuck it is. Did your did that yoga tip you one way or the other? Like make you more thirsty or more like tired or more in the aware? day? Yeah, it definitely makes you thirsty. <laughs> you fucking you I've done sweat that before, so where, much. Yeah, like you almost I I feel like I couldn't drink coffee. I just was like I need oranges water. and yeah. water and yeah. le- lemons and oranges and water. But you sweat so much. But does that did that affect your other workout that you do? Like, was your body just like stop? No, drink a bunch of water. No, I mean it's it's easier because um, if I was going to do the yoga, I would uh, I would just do stuff like lifting weights or something that night. And lifting weights is um, as opposed to running. Yeah, sometimes I'd run. I'd, I'd like to run though in the morning and do yoga later. Like maybe I'll run at eight and then do yoga at ten thirty. I've done that. Because it's not a cardio thing, really, you know, yoga. And also, like, I like doing yoga when my legs are burnt out because then, like, I get more flexibility out of them. I feel like your tissues get really beat up, and then they become more pliable if you just force past that little pain barrier. You know, I really like lifting weights and then going to yoga is amazing if you do, like, squats and stuff like that (sighs) because your legs get, like, super warmed up. And it just feels like they're exhausted and you just kind of can pull that tissue apart easier. Yes. Yes. Hashtag yes. Hashtag fuck yeah. All right, Marilyn. Should we wrap this up? Yeah. I'm glad we did it. Shall Me we too. do it again? We should do this I'd love again. To, yeah. I would love to have you on. Okay. Have you thought about doing one of your own? Oh my gosh, I'm going to leave here today going, I got a podcast, I got a special, you and should. I'm doing yoga twice a day. You should do a podcast for sure. You could do it. I would like to. Let's talk about the second time you come back. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Goodbye, Goodbye. ladies and gentlemen. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you, friends. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Square Cash. You can go download the Cash app for free in the App Store and in Google Play. Use the promo code Joe Rogan, one word. $5 will go to you, and $5 will go to our good friend Justin Wren's Fight for the Forgotten Charity to build wells for the pygmies in the Congo. Thank you also to Framebridge.
you can get started framing your photos or art today. If you go to framebridge.com, you use the promo code ROGAN, you'll save an additional 15% off your first order. Easy to frame things, whether it's physical things, whether it's photos, even a photo that's on your Instagram, send them the link. They can frame that shit for you. Framebridge.com, promo code ROGAN, you'll save an additional 15% off your first order. And last but not least, we're brought to you by the Wondery Podcast Network presenting This Is War. Amazing stories. You can listen to the very first episode right now of This Is War on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast right now. Go to wondery.fm slash Rogan. That's wonder with a Y dot FM slash Rogan. Go listen. I think it's important that these stories are heard. That's it, folks. We fucking did it. We fucking did it. That was another fun week of podcasts. We've got a lot coming up. Next week is going to be, man, next week is some people are going to love it. Some people are going to go, what? There's a lot of combat sports next week. Um, the great and powerful Pat Militich is here. He's a, he was one of the, really one of the founding guys in MMA. He was a pioneer as a fighter and one of the best coaches ever. Uh, he'll be here. Vinny Shorman, my friend, the hypnotist with uh, his good friend, kickboxing champion, Muay Thai champion, Liam Harrison is going to be here. Uh, Michael Bisping might be here. I got to get back a hold of him again. And uh, me pal Owen Benjamin will be here. That's right. So, lots of good guests and maybe someone else. I might be working somebody else in there as well. So that's next week. All right, kids, adults, grown-ups, uh, Peter Pan. All right, fuckers. going to wrap this up. Uh, appreciate all of you and um, we will talk to you soon have yourself a wonderful time bye <laughs>